Blog Talk Radio. It's time for Standing on My Soapbox, the daily rant and radio show. We talk about all of the good, bad, and the ugly of current events. Join your host, Scott Fullerton, and co-host, Craig Hurley. You, our listeners, are invited to call in and stand on our soapbox with us. Call 347-989-0126 between 4 and 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Monday through Friday. That's 347-989-0126. Now, here are your host and creator, Scott Fullerton, and co-host, Craig Hurley. Well, thank you, Katie, and welcome, everyone, to Standing on My Soapbox. We are back live, returning from a two-week extended hiatus as I was traveling the country from California back here to my home base in Northeast Ohio. It is Monday, July 8, 2019. We will have a co-host Craig Hurley on in just a couple of seconds here. I am your host, Scott Fullerton, and we are happy to have you here. We're going to be here every Monday through Friday again. We are your original call-in talk show where we discuss the news, politics, and pop culture stories of the day. You guys are more than invited to call in, give us your opinion on what's going on, or talk about something that's on your mind. You can give us a call at 347-989-0126. That's 347-989-0126. Let's welcome to the show Mr. Craig Hurley. Craig, how we doing, buddy? Wow, man. I have not spoken with you in, it seems like, over two weeks. It I think it is like over two weeks. It seems like a decade and a half. It seems longer than that. I, think it, was, I think it was like June June 25th was the last Something time we were like on the that. air, right? It was crazy. I think so. Got a little well, little bit I of have, trouble on the mics, and then we I had travel time, and it was a little crazy time. How are you doing? Good. Um, things have been a little nuts, but it's good. Um, I I have on uh, almost a daily basis been writing shit down as as we go along here and not doing the shows. So I have oh I don't know six pieces of paper here just loaded with shit that these crazy humans do. So we are loaded with information. I like it. <laughs> yeah. Should we should we start with um, July Fourth extravaganza of when uh, retard in chief is like the armies took over the airports in 1776. Dude, <laughs> I I am yeah, just uh... embarrassed. I'm absolutely embarrassed. And then and he blames it on the teleprompter, which in the past he has been extremely critical of people who use teleprompters. So if he says something that doesn't make any sense and the teleprompter goes out and then he says something that doesn't make any sense, that means he planned on saying that thing that doesn't make any sense, correct? So he actually believes yeah. that there were airports in 1776? Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. And then, uh... Corn, and then the Cornwallis' surrender at Yorktown, that happened in 1781. That was five years after they signed the Constitution. Five years. And then he compared uh, Cornwallis' surrender at Yorktown to the bombardment at Fort McHenry in Baltimore in 1814. That's almost 40 years later. What is going on? These are all well, completely he was, different. He was a little confused. It was, he was doing all he a could little. to make it 
not as political Dude, he as possible. <laughs> he was trying not to make it political, I guess. And so he thought he'd just mess up other facts instead of make it totally political. He'd just make it a teeny tiny bit political and just shroud us with uh, with nonsensical facts, I guess. I don't know what the deal was. Dude, was it, it's absolutely disgraceful. It was absolutely disgraceful. It's the first time in 70 years that a president has taken over the National Mall for 4th of July. And it's it's a disgusting display of behavior. Absolutely he's so disgusting. Proud, he's already he put his stand in front, of, in front of the Lincoln knows. Memorial. I know. He put his podium in front of the Lincoln Memorial. What a douche. <laughs> what an insensitive, disgraceful douche. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I didn't watch any of it, thank goodness. I was traveling, um, so I, and I purposely did not want to see the debacle that was about to happen. Uh, I, like I said, he did announce today that it was so great he's going to do it again next year. So that's he should be concentrating on the uh, Jeffrey Epstein uh, sexual tra- uh, sex trafficking allegations that are about to come up come up him. Uh, his entire cabinet is about to be completely destroyed. Uh, Alex Acosta, I think it's interesting that Alex Acosta is is his secretary of labor. That dude needs to resign like immediately. He's going to end up in jail, dude. He was the top federal prosecutor of um, uh, in Miami when in 2008 and 2007 when when Jeffrey Epstein was um, uh, getting charged for sex trafficking then. And he gave him a sweetheart plea deal. So he completely got off, got off scot-free, didn't have to do anything but probably pay people off, which for a billionaire, it's easy. He just paid people off. Well, his actual, you know, our president doing that all over the place. It's more embarrassing than that. I would have felt better if he would have just paid people off. What actually was happened is he was sentenced to prison, but given six days off a week to go to work for 12 hours a day. So wow. it's like you're literally in prison one day a week. Um, wow. So it's like I would have rather be paid well, I had no idea what, that, than what get... that plea deal was. Dude, that's crazy. Yeah. No, anyway, it's... Alex Acosta, which I think is interesting that his last name is Acosta, seeing as how we're dealing with people accosting people, um, uh, and, and that he's the secretary of labor. He seems to know a little bit about sex trafficking, so that would make sense why you would put somebody in your cabinet who is the Secretary of Labor, seeing as how he knows a lot about the oldest profession, right? Well, and Labor Department does oversee sex trafficking. Really, yeah, really, really messed up. Really messed up. There's Uh, no coincidences in life, guys. None. Yeah, it was. Um, it's it, it's a big mess, and and it's kind of blowing up in their faces today. I would be surprised. Oh, dude, I hope that cabinet gets dissolved. If he dissolved. makes it to the end of the week, I mean, this has come up before. It's nothing <sighs> new. It was brought up back last February and March, um, when uh, I, when he was being confirmed for labor secretary. It was it was brought up back then, and he was able to squeak through. Whether he's able to get through now that they've actually found child porn on Epstein's computer when they raided his home in Manhattan this week, which they had not done before. This other thing was for, I think the older charge was actually for um, sex with a minor, maybe. I don't think it was for the actual. Yeah, a 15-year-old, a 15-year-old, supposedly. 
and that and so she now worked they found at, these pictures of these she worked at Mar-a-Lago. Are either yeah nude or partially nude for um girls as low as young as 14 years old so they actually have pictures now they found when they i guess he was flying in from paris or something and they arrested him at the airport flying in from paris and then while he was in jail being um put through the the paces you do to get uh to get processed they went and raided his home and that's where they found in a safe these pictures so it's not getting any better they're not letting him out on bail because he's a flight risk the guy owns like Three planes and a bajillion dollars and all these. Yeah, one of the one of the seven twenty sevens is the one in question that guys like Bill Clinton, like I've said, you know, um, they're all douchebags. You know, you you just grab the corrupt ones and kick them the hell out. All right, that's that's all we got to do. So you know, I'm not on either side or the other here. You know, if Bill Clinton's been seen on Jeffrey Epstein's seven twenty seven, well, something's going on. Right. And. And and which I'm sad about, Chris Tucker, um, but Kevin Spacey as well, and Kevin Spacey's already in trouble for this. Right. No, it's going to be. I mean, they said today that this is Chris like, Tucker, which I'm upset about, and only because you know he's been he's been one of those guys, and I don't know if he really has anything to do with it, um, but he has been on Epstein's plane. So, you know, anybody, anyone right now that has been, because I haven't been on, the, on his plane. Know. Have you been on his plane? Yeah, there's no facts yet. It's guilt by association. Yeah, it's no facts. It's all, it's we'll all, yeah, exactly. Guilt we'll by association. But he's always been adamant about, you know, Michael Jackson not being a child molester. And right. now he's, you know, now, yeah, guilty by association. And it's like, well, now you can't defend Michael. You know, even though the two guys that got on the uh, uh, documentary uh, freaking are lying their asses off, and and it's been proven, you know, there's a ton of discrepancies in their stories. So, uh, you know, but you still got somebody like Chris Tucker who's been, like, defending Michael since he died, and even before that he was defending him. You know, and now now he's being looked at as possible involvement in sex trafficking. It's freaking crazy, yeah, dude. The, the, new, the New York attorneys that are prosecuting this say this is just a tip of an iceberg, that it could a lot yeah, of people. Yeah, no, it's a, there's a lot, a lot of people involved. So yep. we're going to see what happens. And like as you said, hopefully it'll just be guilt by association when the facts come out. Some of these people will be exonerated, but it's like it's not looking good for a lot of people. And it's just uh, I don't know what's going to happen here. It's going to be very dude, interesting Maureen, to see. Uh, Maureen Comey. Who is the daughter of of uh, what's it, Comey, the FBI director? He's she James is Comey. the yeah she is the prosecutor in the Epstein case. <laughs> Dude, shouldn't have hired that guy, that. huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't realize that. <laughs> oh, funny. oh, dude, she's going after a, him hard. They had something come out today about Trump. And Trump writing about Epstein, and I don't know when this was. Yeah, in a 2000, was... 2002 New York magazine, he said, I've known uh, Jeff for 15 years, terrific guy. I can't do a, a, an impersonation, so I'm not going to try. Uh, because I would just say it like this. I've known Jeff for 15 years, terrific guy. He's a lot of fun. So, I, you know, I, that's all I can do is to, to do his, his voice as an impersonation because he's just absolutely just, oh, my God. 
Right, uh, exactly. My my paper's flying away. I was just about to read this. <laughs> that can't happen. Um, I've known I've known Jeff for 15 years. Terrific guy. He's a lot of fun to be with. Uh, it's even said that he likes beautiful women as much as I do, and many of them on the younger side. Exactly. Exactly. Dude. And this is in 2002. So right. he's known him since the early 80s. Right. You can't tell me that he wasn't involved like in every single aspect of it. 2005, I think, is what they're looking for right now. Um, so it's well, going to be dude, interesting to see how this plays he, out. 40, 45 owned a modeling agency, and they would traffic girls from overseas, and overseas, and Epstein had a share, had a stake in it. Dude, that that's, that's crazy shit. Right. Now that figures. That's crazy. Yeah, I think we're at the tip of the iceberg. I mean, this is just happening this weekend. We'll see what happens. It's going to keep going on and on and on and on and on. I think it's going He's to be – He's facing charges, uh, currently facing charges of more than 30, 30 girls. Uh, he could also – Epstein, that is – could also face money laundering, public corruption, and other tax-related charges. Right. Dude. But I think I heard something weird, like he's only all this stuff together is only like forty five years in prison. But the stuff that he was like brushed over from a cost that could have got him life in prison. So it's like yeah. I don't even understand where it's at right now, but we'll see what happens. It's kinda crazy. I, don't uh, I know, know there's no happened. double jeopardy. I, I know, you know, there's no double jeopardy in this. Like, you, you can't get sued for the right. same shit. Right, that's why these are for years, the years before the other stuff happened. But, oh, man, exactly. I, I, I don't care anymore. I mean, laws were meant to be bent, were meant to, they're not even, like, some, a majority of them don't even make sense. You know, I understand where there's laws where if you're hurting somebody and you're injuring somebody like this, then it needs to be applied. But, you know, stuff like no, no, you know, selling peanuts on a Sunday, go screw yourself. You know, these aren't, these aren't actual laws. Shit like that's not an actual law. And yet they're in the books all over the United States, stuff like that. No selling peanuts on a Sunday. Just dumb shit. Where, you know, the things, the laws that are really important are those laws where you actually victimize someone else and you're a corrupt piece of shit. So you need to be taken out. You need to be taken down. Dude, that's why I developed Daylight Sucks. Every corrupt douchebag on the planet dies. That's how Daylight Sucks goes. It's vampires that kill douchebags. <laughs> there you go. There's a lot of talk about oh, Daylight a- Sucks. That's why I'm bringing it up. What's that? There's a lot of talk about Daylight Sucks right now. That's why I'm bringing it up. Oh, good. What's going on with that? Talk Just got a lot, a, lot of, a lot of buzz around it, so... And that and, yeah. and 27 and all washed up, too. And I'm not even done with, dude, I'm getting all these, like, hits on 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 different uh, websites that I have um, for the different products that I've created. Um, the, and, and dude, I, I'm, I'm getting, I, I don't know how many views. I mean, it's just, it's like, it's too much. I'm, I'm getting constant, like, like, you got another view, got another view, got another, you know, I'm, I'm, it's like happening all the time. So it's interesting to me that people are interested in 27 and all washed up, even though I haven't re-released the edited version because I am, I did complete it. I'm just not done with, I wanted to put in 2012 through 2019 
since I since I stopped, you know, uh, writing it in in 2012, or I had, I had published it the first time in 2012, and also right. I'd like to go with a publisher this time. I don't want to go with Amazon because last time with Amazon, even though Daylight Sucks is on Amazon, and um, so is Altered State of the Union. Um, uh, by the way, the universe, uh, the scientists just now said they're looking for a uh, mirror universe. They're looking for a universe. So there's another altered state of the union thing. Anyway, um, yeah, just call me uh, Nosta Kregmas. Um, so I just keep predicting this shit, dude. Are you there? <laughs> I'm here. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I just couldn't, couldn't hear you. Um, what was I talking about? 27. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to fill in the, the, uh, the, you know, 2012 through 2019 because we actually developed Daylight Sucks and there was a lot of work that Katie did and that I'd like to include like every which way. Um, and then there was other works that I did like Graceland and Chicago PD. So, you know, there's, uh, there's others and plastic dude. I was in a scene with Alfie Allen. He's the only dude that's in my scene. He's talking to me. I was in a scene with Alfie <laughs> Allen from Game of Thrones, and he was amazing right. in Game of Thrones, by the way. I've gotten through almost every episode. Um, I, really? I'm down to the last three. Yeah, I'm down to the last three episodes, and I already know what happened because, you know, we were going through all the spoilers and shit months ago. So, right. um, you know, I'm, I'm, I, 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 I like season eight. I don't know what everybody's complaining about. I like it. Uh, they could have just you haven't watched it yet, have you? Along between seasons, no, I haven't seen any of it yet. Haven't you seen should watch it. it. But I think a lot of people got confused because they took so long between some of the seasons. When you're able to binge watch it, I think it comes a lot more into uh, play, and I think it makes a little more sense for people. But the when last you have season, the last season, they have a an episode called "The Long Night," and it's an hour and a half mm-hmm. long. It took 55 days to film that. Wow. It was all night shoots, and it took 55 days. So how do you edit that? How do you even have time to edit that together in between any seasons? Right. Yeah, that's uh, also what they said. I mean, I think it was between season six and season seven was like a year and a half. Between seven and eight, it was like a year or so. The other ones, it was at least a year between them. I mean, it was yeah, it they took said a long time filming. to get done. Yeah, no, that filming the whole thing, the whole thing was 11 years for eight seasons. Right. 11 years. And, uh, you know, that's a long time to play a character. But, dude, I would love to have a job like that. Where you're on a show for 11 years, like, like Dinklage, you know, and you, oh, wow, man. That'd be, it's just amazing to me. I, I would hate to, you know, get killed off like in season one. Unless they're bringing my character back all the time, which they seem to do, which is really cool. Um, they keep bringing back flashbacks and stuff and, and mentioning characters and showing characters. So that's really good for those actors that weren't allowed to shoot throughout the entire shooting process, you know, throughout the 11 right. years. Because then they at least get some residuals based on another episode. So not even that episode that they were originally in which is really cool. I've, I've seen D.B. Weiss and um, what's-his-face, David uh, uh, Benoff, Benoff. I don't know how to pronounce his name still. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, I've seen both of them do that on a number of occasions with their actors. So nice. it's really, that's really, really, really nice and really, really, really cool because we cannot survive without residuals. 
Right. We can't. We there's too many no, exactly. too many years in between gigs. So you know, we just absolutely cannot survive. What do you expect us to what? do? Wait, I'm going to be on a TV series, and then I'm going to work at Jack in the Box. I don't mean to sound arrogant, <laughs> but it's not possible. You just can't do it. You can't right. do it to yourself as far as an artist is concerned. You just tear, tear the hell out of you for your self-esteem and, and anything that you thought you were as an artist. And then, you know, you, you can't do it. I, what do you, I, yeah, I want a Jumbo Jack and fries. Give me a number four. And weren't you on Game of Thrones? You know, I mean, I, it just doesn't – it just does not work. So – yeah, I mean, especially for the bit players, I don't, I don't know about as much. The trouble I find with it, being an outsider from the industry, is it's usually the people that are making the one million dollars an episode getting residuals, where the people making two hundred thousand are not. And if you can't budget nah. a million dollars, I don't feel that fucking sorry for you. Ooh, I said a bad word yeah. first time. Oh, I don't dude, feel, come on, I've we haven't never done like that. Two weeks. We were in two weeks, and it was That's you, horrible. not me. And you know what, dude? I have been out of control lately as far as swearing is concerned. I have Tourette's, <laughs> man. And, and I, I am think holding I have it too. I think it's really, because I have been really on the air. Oh. Yeah, since I've been on the air, I've been swearing more, so it slipped out. But, but my, my feel on residuals is I, I get upset. I yeah, like no, everybody gets residuals on a SAG franchise project. Dude, uh, everybody huh? gets residuals on a SAG franchise project. Everybody, okay? And it depends on your contract that you negotiated at the beginning as to, and, and throughout, you know, like some of the characters, like um, uh, What's-Her-Face Dragon Lady, uh, Danny, and, and uh, the guy who plays Jon Snow, uh, uh, Kip, and, uh, um, and Peter Dinklage, and uh, the chick that plays Cersei. And I, I just, I'm, I'm losing their names right now. Um, but, you know, there's some specific, and, and Jamie and, and Bree, I mean, there's some specifics on there that they've been throughout. And they've renegotiated as they've gone along. Because the standard contract only has a negotiation every, there isn't even a negotiation. It's like you have to deal with, Okay, say you're making $12,500 on an episode, okay? That as, right. as a regular on a TV series, as a person that's going to be there every single, every single episode, all right? That's kind of a standard contract at the beginning of anyone's contract, unless you're super famous already, and then you're working another deal. But that right. is your standard. It's somewhere around your standard is twelve five, And then you're making a little bit extra on $12,500 every 10 days. So then you're making a little bit extra on, on meal penalties and forced calls and overtime and wardrobe and, and per diem and depending on where you're filming and, and stuff like that, all right? You got little perks here and there that we have fought for with the Screen Actors Guild against producers the whole time, trying to – I mean, the entire time that the Screen Actors Guild has been in, in, in kind of business, but a, a guild, uh, an organization, um, they have fought the producers for contracts. And, right. and then it, you get a 10% bump per episode for, for the next year, for the next season. And it goes on till you're in the sixth season and you're making uh, another uh, uh, 60%. So it went from 12.5 in the first season to, uh, what is that, 14, because it's another $1,250 per episode. So you go up to 14, five or 14, whatever in, in, uh, on the hour 15 in the, on the next season. And then you go up 
to another $1,500 for the third season per episode. And the whole time you are receiving residuals and first run residuals are always kind of nice because it's almost the full check. So you're getting another $12,500 for first run. That's fair. I mean, second run. So that's, it's always nice, you know, but it's still not millions of dollars. And even when you get to the sixth season and currently uh, there's certain shows that are on the air that I'm not going to mention them. Uh, I'm not going to talk shit about them right now. Um, But if you just look it up, look on Hollywood Reporter, look on Variety, look on reputable entertainment magazines and websites, you will see where there are certain actors that are leads on TV series right now that are leaving the show. And they're leaving the show because they cannot um, get the producers to renegotiate. And they want to be millionaires, and you can't be with those contracts. You're not ever going to do that. You're only making, so it went up to what? By the time, if you do the math, I don't know what it was, $30,000 an episode by the sixth season? And you're doing, and now they're doing six six episodes per season and shit. They're, they're nailing all these seasons. They're so tiny. So even if they do 18, 30,000 times 18, you, you're not even in the million-dollar range, are you? No, you're at 300,000, and then you're at another 300,000, right? Maybe. Right. No. You're, so you're at barely at, barely at $600,000, and you're a lead on a TV series. Dude. Have you seen the house prices lately? No, I hear you. I hear you. In California, no less, because that's where all the actors live. You can't even buy a house on that. No, I hear you. So I hear that's you part of at. why. That's part of why someone like Jesse Smollett it did whatever whatever involvement he has in all of that, and everybody's going round and round. They're still going round and round on that shit. And, and it's because there's, uh, there's corruption on both sides of it or on all sides of it. And I'm not sure exactly what Jussie's involvement was in this hoax or scam or whatever the hell it was. It was a way to get attention, and that's why he did it. His contract's really not that big. It's not that much money. And he can fly through that money quickly. Especially when you're like, you know, you're trying to deal with the same people. You're, you're dealing with the billionaires and the millionaires and you're at the same parties and you're trying to drive the same cars. You're, you're trying to be in the same circle. How is it possible? It's right. not. Unless you renegotiate and you're like, okay, I'm going to leave the show unless I'm getting a million dollars an episode. So, you know, and, and there's certain people that they're like, yeah, leave. And then there's others, and when you're dealing with, you know, Game of Thrones money in the in the eighth season, jeez, you know, I, they spent a hundred million dollars on eight episodes. <laughs> spent a hundred million dollars on eight episodes. That's crazy money. Yeah, but they were making money for HBO. They were making bank for it. So oh no, they made a ton of money, dude. It's a billion dollar. It's a it's a multi billion dollar franchise. I wouldn't doubt if they oh, made yeah. like two billion dollars on on just merchandising. It's a multi-billion-dollar franchise, and you know these uh, these guys, these producers, are extremely smart and extremely nice. And, and you know, DB Wise and and uh, David uh, Benoff. I just I, I think uh, you know, I, and they're really good. They're really freaking talented. These guys are really talented, and and the way they wrapped this story around and wrapped it up. So, and I know they were having problems, 
with wrapping it up because George R. R. Martin didn't even write the last books until they were filming. Right. Yeah, that was that was a little creative ice. I mean, luckily he was consulting the whole time, but uh, oh, yeah, yeah, it's like, where do we go with this? <laughs> what are we supposed to do? But, yep. I'm liking it so far. I don't I don't know why everybody's complaining about the uh, last season of Game of Thrones. Come on, guys. I think it's I actually like. I mean, that battle scene was just nuts. Battle scene is crazy, dude. You got to see it. Battle scene is just That's nuts. It's like a, an hour, fifteen day. minutes long. It's just nuts. <laughs> just, just battle. I have just so many body parts everywhere. Just craziness. And, and you know they've got to film each one of those stunts. They've got to film each thing, and then they got to go over it in in editing, and they mm-hmm. have to cut it, and then they have to put add the CGI. So uh, just a crazy amount of hours of man hours went into the making of this. You know, you got to respect that at least. It, it's the most expensive battle scene ever filmed. Ben Hur doesn't come close. Uh, War of the Worlds doesn't come close. It's the most expensive battle scene ever filmed. Is the one in in The Long Night. I believe it. I believe it. All right, well, dude, we're at uh, the halfway point already. We go back already, really? and we're already flying through. Let's go ahead and take a quick break. Play a little bit of my buddy Jay Knight's music, Shooting Star. Guys, you're listening, to standing on my soapbox. Give us a call. We are back every day at our brand new permanent time. We we tried this time while we were in Palm Springs, and it worked out very well for us. So we are on Monday through Friday from three to four in the afternoon Pacific time six to seven in the evening time here eastern time we'll play a little shooting star craig i'll be back in just a couple seconds here you go armies took over the airport Angel 
Um, yeah, no, that, you know, I, I was about myself. I have somebody who has some experience. Me the first three hours, I just then went to bed, but, you know. <laughs> so, anyway. And also, somebody who has some experience that you actually trust. You know, that's an actual friend. Like, don't, you know, just go to your local dealer and be like, right. hey, can you get high with me? So, you know, that's not, no, don't do that. Even though there aren't any dealers anymore. Well, there are in the states that it's still illegal. Why you guys aren't paying attention to the rest of the United States, we don't know. Hello, it's a billion dollars a year annually. A billion dollars a year annually. Hundred million dollars of that is taxes. A billion dollars a year annually per state. You guys, you can pull yourself out of a lot of shit, man. Your roadways will look good. Your health care will look good. Do state-sponsored health care. You do all this stuff. Your education looks good. You're, you're able to throw monies where you didn't have those monies before into areas that actually need it. So these other these states, they, God, these people are dumb, dude. They're dumb. I don't get it. Yeah, it's there's still it's it's not going to happen in the Bible Belt very quickly. I can tell you that. That's just dumb. Going to take a lot for it to happen. Wait, you think Christ? You think Christ actually cured the blind? You, you think he actually did that? You can go through every single one of his miracles and prove it uh, either right or wrong with science. I, I, I'd prove them all right uh, or correct. I hate using the word right now because of right and left. Um, so I prove them all correct um, with science. Uh, one such is that he, in order to cure the blind of blindness, he walked up to a dude with glaucoma and smoked a big old fatty with him, big old joint, sat there with him for hours on end just smoking weed. And guess what happened? His glaucoma went away. Why? Because it's a cure. So it, this just makes me angry, all of this stuff. This is, you know, it's very Christ-like and medicinal. Guys, pay attention. So Bible Belt, you really need to pay attention, dude. You make a billion dollars a year off this stuff. It's mentioned in the Bible, by the way, multiple times, as a curing medicinal herb. I must have missed so that. I'm just really tired of all the all the, the crap that's surrounded around it. And it's it's helped out so many millions of people at this point. So many people, dude. I, I walk into dispensaries and I see because they have usually they have a medicinal end and they have a um, whatchamacallit, a, a recreational side. <coughs> and the medicinal side is always people with disabilities. I mean, just severe disabilities, dude. I've seen wheelchairs coming in there. I've seen people in canes. It's just, dude, their legs are all wrapped up with all sorts of, you know, just stuff because they, they're just messed up people. And it's like, this is the only thing that helps them. I don't, I don't know where the compassion, just the compassion for your fellow man, your brotherhood of man, where'd it go? So you got to look at it that way too, man, as far as being Christ-like and weed. Dude, where's your compassion? Oh, it, it doesn't stop you from being crippled. We can say it takes away the pain from it. Uh, it takes away the symptom. Away it absolutely, no, 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 hold on a second, dude. Uh-uh, uh-uh. ASD kids and ASD adults. Uh, people with autism, there are severe cases, uh, severe, dude, where they actually, and you can see them all online, there's videos everywhere, that, where they're actually beating the hell out of themselves with their own fists, causing bruises, causing breakage, causing bleeding, 
and they are they they the usually their guardian um, smokes some weed with them, and usually it's a vaporizer from what I can tell. So it's not even smoke; it's more water vapor than anything. And they they smoke some weed with them, and dude, within ten seconds they stop hitting themselves. They start not rocking back and forth and being uh, just an absolute, you know, uh, out of control freak, they actually get maintain some type of control. And uh, there's a video out there of this girl. She's like 10 years old or 12 years old. And she's, she's, she's wailing on herself. And then her guardian smokes some weed with her. And then she stops and she's not, she's no longer hitting herself. And she's like, um, I'm hungry. I think I'll go to the refrigerator. So, dude, it gets rid of the ailment at that point. Yes, the symptoms and the ailment may come back, but at that moment, this woman can suppresses it. It doesn't get rid of it. It suppresses it. Yeah, exactly. Doesn't get rid of it. This girl is able to actually function, just function, have some type of quality of life for five minutes. I don't know how long it lasts. I know how long it lasts when I'm high. So I just got high, and I'll probably be high for another hour. So that's about how long one hit will take, maybe an hour and a half. So maybe she has some quality of life for an hour and a half where otherwise she's beating the shit out of herself. I mean, come on. Where is your compassion for your fellow man? So that's that's what I'm talking about, about being Christ-like. When it comes to these things, we have to look at these individuals and actually take care of them because they cannot, cannot take care of themselves. This is true. This is true. We got to, we got to study. It's got to be studied more, I think, but I think you're right. We know it. Want want me to throw a little pop culture into here now? So we get off of weed. Um, uh, Paul Rudd, Paul Rudd's going to join the cast of Ghostbusters 2020. (laughs) I just wanted to throw that out there. Ghostbusters? <laughs> yes. Ghostbusters. <laughs> yes, they are. Yes. The and forty-five. Forty-five is is going to run for a second term. This is all the shit that we missed over the past two weeks. He said he was going to run for a second term. Japan had an earthquake that was like June twenty-seventh. That it was a really big one, seven point something, eight point something. It was a monster. And then um, uh, Susan Bernard died. Billy Drago died. Um, dude, who else died? There's somebody else that just died, and I can't think of uh, their name. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, the earthquake that happened in in whatchamacallit, in California. Did I predict that? That was only like a month ago, right? That I said, maybe a month and a half ago, that I was like, eh, people are acting weird. No. I didn't predict that one. Well, you, you definitely said people were acting weird back then, that's for sure. I and did say it's earthquake weather. Yep. And then we had a seven-pointer in California. The entire ring of fire is on friggin' fire. It is on fire. They are worried about, and it's moving all over the place on a daily basis. We have at least five-point um, earthquakes. We just had an earthquake yesterday in Papua New Guinea, which is down by Australia. 
for those of you who think that we have a flat earth. Um, there's another country. Uh, it's called Australia and Papua New Guinea, and, and that's another country. And, and they had an earthquake yesterday. Um, they are in the ring of fire. Um, we have had, I don't, oh, I don't even know what the number is now. Uh, yesterday, it was at least 85 uh, aftershocks. Um, from the seven-pointer that we had in, uh, in Ridgecrest. Um, so these aftershocks are happening all the freaking time, all the time. And there's none of them that are, that are like, there are all these little three-pointers. Nobody's really feeling them. Um, but, uh, and then Anchorage, Alaska, uh, not only did, it, I think it was Juno that had an earthquake. Um, uh, and, but Anchorage, dude, 90 degrees. For the first time, look, I'm just going through my list of shit, dude. <laughs> That's why it all seems a little disjointed. I went from 45 will run for second term to talking about 90 degrees in Anchorage, Alaska. So in one minute, um, but yeah, exactly. I'm just reading through my list. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Um, I should try to keep some something coordinated here. Uh, some organization skills would be great, Craig. Uh, but because um, uh, I was actually going to talk about firework safety, too. Uh, but uh, the. Uh, what was I Pick saying? Pick the subject and we'll keep to it. Pick one. Freaking ring of you fire. Can talk about one thing. <laughs> Pick one subject okay. we're going to talk about. We'll talk about I it. I can't. <laughs> I can't. There's too much shit. There's way too much shit on my list to, to figure out what is what is one. What What's one? I mean, you know, 45 imposing sanctions on Iran. Uh, it would be a permanent closure of diplomacy with Iran. I just, I, I don't, I, you know, I don't know where to, I'm trying to look for another weather event. <laughs> just crazy amount of we shit should, happened we over the past two weeks. Dude. Soccer. We should talk about soccer here. And they won. They won yesterday. They, and, and she, she's been arguing with 45 on, on yeah, the internet and on Twitter. Women's, yeah. The U.S. women's to soccer, the women's soccer team, team won the World Cup. They uh, crushed the Netherlands two to zero, and uh, they're using it not just for the win, but they're also using it as a call to action for equal pay. Because uh, right now, they all 28 players of the team uh, have put a federal gender discrimination lawsuit against the U.S. Soccer Federation. Nice. This is this is their second time in a World Cup. First time they won. But this is the second time, and they still get less pay from the guys who have never been in a World Cup. They get right. less travel money and accommodations and training. They get less promotion of their matches, and they're the ones doing all the winning. So yeah. they have put a, uh, a federal discrimination lawsuit, gender discrimination lawsuit, against the U.S. Soccer Federation. And I say good for them. I think it's important that they follow through on that. Um, of course, Megan Rapinoe, who is one of the the team captain uh, leaders of the she team, is the team captain. captain. Yep. Yeah, and she is um, notoriously anti-Trump and notoriously pro-gay, and uh, so and I guess Trump is is thinking on rescinding the White House invitation because well, he invited him. Britain. Because yeah, well, no, he inv- who were like F Trump, F Trump <laughs> on, on a TV show on Fox News. It was even on Fox. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, I saw that too. All these people in the background. Yeah, um, was, uh, so he's kind of rescinding that. So yeah, no, uh, he invited them, and she said she said sh- that they're not going. 
the team captain was like, no, no, we're not going. Win or lose, we're not going. Screw off. Right. Sawed off since she's in England. Sawed off. Or, no, they're in France, aren't they? Damn it. What else we got going on here? Um, How do you oh, say F off in, 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 uh, in French? I forgot. I don't know. I don't know French. Um, oh, I forgot. What else are we going over? Let's see here. Uh, well, I want to talk about the whole uh, Little Mermaid controversy. Have you heard about that? We're talking pop culture here a bit. Barely. Uh, I did want to mention uh, Cameron. Cameron Boyce. He's a, he's a Disney actor. 20 years old and died of, uh, I'm assuming, respiratory failure. He had a lot of problems with he had breathing disabilities. An extremely, extremely talented dancer. This kid was really good, like the likes of Fred Astaire and, and Gene Kelly, that type of dancing. Just, just mm. really good, man. Yeah. And it's, and it's sad to, to lose that talent so early. Yeah, I've seen people posting, but I didn't know who he was. I saw his picture, and I saw Disney, but I had no clue who he was. Was he on a right. television show for them, or what was he? What was he doing I, for Disney? I don't know enough about him, but I do know that the because like we've got a, a couple actors signed uh, to Daylight Sucks um, licensing agreements for the comic books, and uh, Jason Drucker uh, is one of those, and he just played Wimpy Kid. Um, I know that he knew him. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure. And then, because all the, all, all the people, the kids that we have signed for daylight sucks are all associated with every which way, which is a Nickelodeon thing, a Viacom international Nickelodeon thing. So all these kids know each other and the Disney kids know the Nickelodeon kids, all these kids know each other. And, um, uh, so a number of the kids that we have, uh, Jackie crazy. And, uh, I, I even believe Paris Smith knows Cameron. So, you know, we, Tyler Alvarez probably knows Cameron. Um, you know, we have a number of different kids that were on Every Which Way Signed to Daylight Sucks. So it's, you know, I'm, I'm seeing it around in, in my circles on, on Instagram and, and stuff like that. All these kids posting that they're, you know, freaking out. So. Yeah, I guess that he died so young. And he was on some Star Wars thing, or not Star Wars, but he was on The Descendants. And what else was on Disney? Um, I'm pulling him up right now. You should look at the things that he's choreographed. He's, uh, he's oh, an amazing the TV dancer. show Jesse. TV show Jesse, I guess, on Disney Channel. But it was due to an ongoing medical condition, like you said. Yeah. Um, he was having seizures before and he he was having, like you said, the respiratory problems. So too bad, but also definitely look up on his dancing and everything. Okay. More pop culture. Cuba Gooding Jr. Arrested for groping a woman in a nightclub in New York. That happened about <laughs> a week ago, week and a half ago. And wasn't Cuba he Gooding Jr. He's in, he's in 27 and all washed up. What? Wasn't he filmed groping someone in like a hair salon or something like that too? Was, I, I don't know, groping. but he was he, he was arrested for groping in in a, in a club. I, I you know uh, Cuba Gooding. I know him. 
Uh, he, I don't know him well. Um, I, he, his first guest starring role is, uh, on, was on a TV show that I did called Nasty Boys for Dick Wolf. And um, we filmed in Vegas. And like I said, his first guest starring role was on this show. And at the time, you can totally tell that he's a star. You know, he just he played this like like bit part, and he was just amazing. So you you know that a guy like that is just going to keep going. But you know, doesn't matter how talented you are, dude. Uh, you know, if you've got some serious problems um, and you're taking advantage of people, you're probably going to do that anyway. No matter how rich you are, even if you're not, no matter how talented you are. So he walks around victimizing women, obviously. Yeah, it's pretty sad. I mean, the guy had a, had a big star flaming out. That's not not a good thing. But I do know that they did have it on film. And it was trying to be like his girlfriend or something. So what he's doing is like yeah. grabbing this girl's ass or something like that. So yeah, very, very sad. Interesting that you said a big star, big star flaming out. Um, Cause I, I just reposted some shit that I put on Facebook like two years ago about meteoric rise being incorrect verbiage because meteors fall. They don't rise. They fall. In fact, they scientific here. Here's scientific for you. They plummet. They plummet to earth. And so we really need to pay attention to the verbiage on things, and especially something like a cliche, like meteoric rise to fame. Dude, there is no meteoric rise. There's none of that. There's a lot of freaking hard work is what there is. For those people out there that want to be actors and can't figure out how, there's a lot of freaking work, dude. A lot of freaking training. And you got to know the people. You got to be meeting people. You got to know people, and you have to be talented. So good luck. It's not as easy as you think it is. Um, but there is no. It's not meteoric rise, dude. Meteoric meteors plummet. Speaking of October third, I think it's uh, asteroid FT thirty. I I don't have this written down, so um, I don't I don't actually know uh, what the name of the asteroid is. However, I do know that it is a 2,700 megaton. I'm going to repeat that. 2,700 megaton asteroid. Um, let's see. Hiroshima? Nagasaki? Which one did they drop the big one on? Because I'm, I'm not sure if that was a hydrogen bomb. But I'm pretty sure if somebody can tell me if I have my numbers wrong, I'd love it. 347-989-0126. Uh, I, I always like to have the correct information if I'm trying to put out stats and shit. Uh, so 347-989-0126, please. Uh, any you munition, uh, munitions officers, I'd like to hear from you. Um, uh, I'm pretty sure the, the bomb that we dropped on Nagasaki was 15 megatons. So you're looking at 2,700 freaking megatons. And it is going to do, which it bothers me as well, they're saying it's doing a flyby when really aren't we the ones that are flying by it because most asteroids aren't flying through the space. They are stuck in an asteroid belt. So unless this one's hauling through space, which I don't know if it is or not, um, but uh, the uh, 20. 
2,700 tons, and it's going to fly by real close. It could get stuck in our orbit. If it wobbles just a little bit, we're going to get hit. And that day is it. That's it. That's extinction event number six on this planet. We're done. So, and that's October 3rd. And I don't hear any of our, like, our government or any NASA or anybody, anybody warning anybody. I think it would be pretty, like, people might go panicking. I don't know. You know, because that's, that's a big asteroid, dude. Um, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm listening. Yeah. Um, the, uh, there, there was an asteroid in 1910, I believe, that blew up over Russia um, that was only a two megaton asteroid. And it, at the epicenter, because it didn't, it didn't ever hit Russia, it, it never hit the planet, it blew up in our atmosphere, but at that, at that flashpoint, everything on the surface was vaporized vaporized, gone. And then for an 800 square mile radius, all the trees and all the, every animal was killed, uh, but all the trees were knocked down like they were matchsticks. They're just laying down. 800 square miles. And then we just had another like 1.5 megaton asteroid come through and hit Russia. Just, man, that thing happened like a year ago, year and a half ago, and it affected it affected uh, uh, six different cities, and people had like nobody died from what I understand, but there was it, they've got it on video, and there's huge flash in the sky, and then there's you can see the the uh, concussion um, uh, wave, that wave that comes at you from the explosion, and then the um, and then windows are being blown out all over the place in buildings, so people got cut up, but I, I'm not sure anybody died in that, um, but six cities had windows blown out in their buildings. It wow. affected a bunch of people. So 2,700 megatons. Dude, we're in a lot of trouble if that thing hits. I mean, we're done. So it was nice knowing you, Scott. It's October 3rd, man. It's right around the corner. We'll have, It'll be here we'll sooner than you think. In the news. have to keep in the news for that. Yeah, nobody's really paying right, attention well, to that. I don't see it in mainstream media. Episode, my friend. Really? Our first day back is Dunzo. Uh, we'll be back the rest of the week. Dude, I did not even get through half of my papers. Well, there you go. That's you how much shit happened. I, I did not get through half. I'm going to have to go through and just like scratch shit off and see how much go. more shit I have left. All right. Well, guys, we will be back tomorrow, same time, all this week and permanently, 3 o'clock Pacific, 6 o'clock Eastern time. Tune in right here on Blog Talk Radio and uh, give us a call, 347-989-0126. This is Standing on My Soapbox with Scott and Craig. Have a good day, everyone. Bye-bye. Peace.
Welcome to the Left of Straight Show with your host, Scott Fullerton, as we discuss everything under the rainbow sun, from LGBT issues to foodies, entertainment to books. Join us as we talk to some of the most interesting leaders and celebrity LGBT guests and allies on the Internet. So grab a cocktail, it's always happy hour somewhere, and enjoy the show. Now, here's your host, Scott Fullerton. Well, howdy, 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 everybody. Welcome to the Left of Straight show. Believe it or not, we are starting our fifth season today. Thanks for joining in, guys. I am your host, Scott Fullerton. I've been gone for six weeks for the second annual Big Gay Road Trip to Palm Springs, California. Thanks so much for tuning in. As I said, I started this show Uh, Exactly four years ago on July 2nd was the very first show. We had one of the plaintiffs in uh, the Supreme Court case that brought uh, marriage equality, Kelly McCracken on, and we had uh, Ben Patrick Patrick Johnson on from L.A. Uh, Our very first show four years ago, so we are now four days into our fifth season, and I can't thank you enough for being part of the show listening to me, being a part of friends on social media. Appreciate everything you've done, and we're going to have another great year ahead as I kind of wind everything down here uh, over the next couple weeks, getting myself back organized from the road trip. Like I said, I've been gone for six weeks. We'll talk about that in a second. In just a few minutes, I'm going to be joined by my buddy and fellow road tripper, producer and influencer, Mr. Tommy Garassi from New York. He made the trek out from New York to Palm Springs to be part of the road trip. He also was part of L.A. Pride. And then for the second hour, I'm going to play a pre-tape interview that I did while out in Palm Springs. Uh, Jeffrey Mark is a Palm Desert resident and legend who's lived an amazing life as an actor, author, comedian, and more. He couldn't make it to one of our live shows while in Palm Springs, but I had to talk to him. He has stories from Lucille Ball to being there when John Lennon was shot from the Beatles. Uh, So be ready for a great interview in the second hour. It is a pre-tape, but it's a fantastic interview. Tom will be on live in just a couple of minutes. I do want to talk about the Big Gay Road Trip. I can't thank everyone enough. I need to give another shout-out to my hosts and sponsors. Of course, the Indulge Resort in Palm Springs was my host the entire time, put me up for the month. Thank you so much to John and Sandy owners and, of course, to the manager, Raymond, such a great friend of the show. Be sure to check them out. They were booking all summer long. They're open year-round in beautiful Palm Springs. You can book your room at www.indulge.com. Indulge is spelled I-N-N-D-U-L-G-E.com. So go to www.indulge.com to book your rooms. They have international visitor all the time i had friends there from paris and from canada and from australia while i was there just an amazing group of people that go to the indulge resort you can follow them on social media on instagram at twitter at indulge ps that's at i-n-n-d-u-l-g-e-p-s and uh, follow their facebook page indulge palm springs So a big shout to them for being hosts for the Big Gay Road Trip. And, of course, my media sponsors and partners on the trip, T. 
Pink Banana Media out in uh, both uh, New York and L.A. If you're an LGBT-owned and operated business and you're looking for support for your business as far as social media or growing your business, give Pink Banana Media a call. Matt Scalarid runs the New York office, while Fabrice Ascendo runs the L.A. office. They are great for helping your business grow. Um, a big shout out to I love the, the I love gay Twitter 360 network. If you see all of the hashtags and the at I love gay LGBT, I love gay Palm Springs, I love gay everything. That's part of the 360 uh, Twitter network. Um, be sure to they shouted us out all road trip long. Uh, thank you so much to the now trending app out of uh, Hillcrest Social in San Diego, California. They were a great media partner and made sure everyone knew we were there. Our good buddy Scott Travis and his CBT Candle Company and Travis Hunt Productions helped put together our awesome gift bag for all my celebrities while we were there. And, of course, we had great friends like Cassie's Book Confections that made these amazing sugar cookies for all my guests. Uh, she's out of... Uh, the Indio, Indio Empire there in Southern California, and Patches O'Hool right here in Columbus, Ohio, has all of your patches and pins need for any part of the LGBTQ LMNOP rainbow. Um, no matter what diversity you fall under, they have something for you. And, of course, my good friends in, in uh, Las Vegas Embroidery to You who made some amazing left of straight tote bags to put all the goodies in for my celebrities and they are going to be uh, putting up uh, on my website soon you're going to be able to find left and straight embroidered shirts bags um, all sorts of fun things on there so be sure to look for that on the website www.leftofstraight.com and leftofstraightradio.com so thanks to them we had over 20 or over 30 guests show up to palm springs we got to go to many Pride festivals. We went to Huntington Beach, Las Vegas, had a fantastic Warner Brothers Studios tour that Tommy and I are going to talk about in just a little bit. So I'm going to be replaying those in the upcoming weeks here, but we had a great time. You can go to uh, iHeartRadio, who's now carrying the Left of Straight show. Just go to iHeartRadio, type in Left of Straight, L-E-F-T-O-F-S-T-R, and the number eight show. You'll find all of our episodes there. Also on your favorite uh, podcast distributors like uh, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and of course Spotify and all the good ones there. Um, the, uh, the websites are being updated as we speak. We have so much new stuff going on. As you notice, we are in our brand new time period. We're switching time zones or switching time periods. Left of Straight Radio Network is going to be uh, every Monday through Friday, from 3 to 6 Pacific time and 6 to 9 Eastern time, we're going to have great progressive LGBT talk radio shows for you and ally shows right here for you. New shows being added all the time. So look for that Monday through Friday from 3 to 6 Pacific, 6 to 9 Eastern. And on Saturdays, we'll still be going from 11 to 2 every day. So look for that. Big shout out to my interns that have worked so hard while I was out of town um, I can't thank Jordan, Chris, and Ashley enough for all of their hard work. Thank you so much for being part of the Left of Straight show. We have one month left, and they're going to be starting some shows of their own. We'll be having a new intern class coming up very soon. So big shout-out to those guys. I have missed being um, live here from 
Ohio, but it, uh, we had such a successful time in L.A., I think I am going to try to move my base of operations to be part-time in Southern California and part-time here in Ohio. So we are looking for locations now in either L.A. or Palm Springs to bring the show headquarters down there, maybe spend three months at a time in each place. Um, Mom came down for the second half of the trip, but she this is – becoming a little too much for her. She was the, the trip was a little hard on her and she was very glad to be home. It's hard for her to be on the go all the time, but if you can stay there for a couple months at a time, she'll probably come down and visit. Um, just being on the go all the time is tough for her. You know, she was a week with my brother. He took her out all the time. Then we were on the road for a week, we went to Palm Springs for a couple of days. And of course, uh, Vegas for five days. So she's a tuckered out girl. I think she slept for, 30 of the first 36 hours we were home, but look for news on that over the next three to six months. I am excited about that. Let's get into the news here and see what is going on real quick before we bring our first guest on. Uh, I got to go to Youngstown Comic Con this weekend. I got back in town Friday and my buddy Greg, who owns All American Comics here in Boardman and Warren, Ohio, he has two locations. He's been putting on this Comic Con for the last four year or last ten years. It's their ten year anniversary. Um, it's just it was rebranded Youngstown Comic Con three years ago at our Cavelli Center here, which is our little stadium in town. Fantastic turnout. He brought out um, Jason Mewes, who played Jay from Jay and Silent Bob on all those great movies with Kevin Smith. He brought up the comic book men, Ming Chain, Mike Zabsik, and Brian Johnson. A lot of great cosplay, a lot of great people. I'm going to have some guests on from different uh, people that I met very soon in there. And we're going to have some talks to the comic book men coming on the show very soon. So that was a lot of fun to go through that this weekend. But other than that, not a lot of stuff going on. So I've been back. I've honestly just been trying to catch up and get myself back into a work groove here as we get into it. Uh, lots of great guests coming up. I am a little behind on my booking, so we're going to be playing some of my pre-taped uh, episodes that I never got to while in Palm Springs. But I also have uh, some great guests coming on later this month. Uh, we have Steve Grand coming on in August. He's going to be at Akron Pride, which I will have a booth at, and all sorts of fun things happening here very soon. But let's go ahead and get ready for our first guest, Tommy Garassi, great friend of the show from New York, calling in in just a couple of seconds. Let's play a little Steve Grand. This is his disciple. And we are back for the fifth season in an all-new Left of Straight show right here on Left of Straight Radio Network. Be back in a few, guys. Jesus be my daddy, father my light Walks through my dreams, draped in white Like a child, like a child I ain't scared of dying when I'm living the circle Be a loyal disciple till I get my fix
All righty, we are back. That was Steve Grand with Disciple. Steve's going to be back on the show in August. He is doing his residency, his yearly residency, in Provincetown, Massachusetts right now. You can catch him, I believe, every Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Look up the Steve Grand website. But he will be uh, coming in that weekend to do Akron Pride in the end of August. I will be having a booth there, and I'm uh, part of that. So uh, looking forward to talking to him. But let's jump into the show, guys. My first guest today has been a fantastic friend of the show, and it was so exciting to finally meet him in person on my road trip to California. Had him as a guest in Palm Springs. He's a New York City-based producer, social media influencer, and a pop culture guru who rivals myself when it comes to supporting the best and brightest in LGBT content, including web series, books, plays, music, and movies. He supports them all. He was recently part of New York and World Pride and was a panelist on a couple of our buddies over at Pink Banana Media's LGBT Week, their marketing, advertising, and new media conference series that was held June 17th through 28th. Always happy to have him on the show. Please welcome back Mr. Tommy Garassi. Tommy, how the heck are you, buddy? I'm always happy to be here. And, you know, it always takes California to get me to meet people because even our friend Matt, I did, he lives in New York, and I met him in L.A. So <laughs> it seems that, that L.A. Crazy? brings everybody. <laughs> L.A. brings everybody together. Well, we had a lot of fun while we were there. Too short, of course, but we did have a good time. Um, I don't know how you're even recovering. I've only been back since Friday and I'm still a little behind, but you, I think since June, you had to go up to Canada for part of uh, a road trip up there. You came to the L.A. Pride and my road trip, New York Pride, World Pride, LGBT Week. You moved your home. How the heck are you even standing, my friend? I don't understand. I've been on and off losing my voice, and I've been on and off losing the uh, <laughs> use of my arms, I think, from moving, because I only moved next door, so we, I didn't really get movers to do it. It was just me and a couple of friends, and my brother came. So I felt like at some point I had done about, I actually clocked it. I did 100,000 steps in five days <laughs> moving back and forth. Oh, my goodness. You are an Iron Man, my friend. Well, you, you're not stopping yet. You have more stuff to talk about we'll get to in a bit. But let's start from the beginning. Since last time we chatted, um, you did head up to Canada for Eastsiders, which, of course, you're a producer. And now we can say a bit star on. Talk about that. How was it going up to Canada? And talk about the Eastsiders a bit. Well, I love Toronto because Toronto's, it's, Toronto reminds me a lot of New York, except it's less people. So it's all the same culture. It's got a really good LGBTQ community and there's bars and restaurants and clubs. So you get to enjoy that without the crowds of New York. Plus the people are more polite, I think, in Toronto. But we premiered Eastsiders there at Inside Out Fest and the audience loved it. It was full packed house and they loved the episodes they saw. So we're going to be doing that at Outfest in L.A. Uh, July 20th. So if anybody's in L.A. and wants to come to Outfest to meet us and hang with us and chill out and watch a couple episodes of Eastsiders. We'd love to have you guys. Nice. That's exciting. And I'm with you. I love Toronto. I've been there many, many times. I've always called it the same thing, a smaller, cleaner New York City. They, they scrub <laughs> the freaking streets at night. They wash the streets down there at night. It's oh, crazy. Oh, yeah. Much better. Uh, it yeah, it, smell as much. yeah, it's good. <laughs> no, it, it's a nice little city. And Young Street and Church Street there is beautiful. It's it's a, a great LGBT area, like you said. Well, that sounds fantastic. Of course, Eastsiders has been, I think this is 
maybe your final season, right? So we got to jump it in while we're getting season. good. But I have a feeling there's going to be a couple other things going on with it, so maybe like a movie or so. Who knows? You know, in this day and age of reboots, there's always something coming down the pike. So I don't know if it's quite done yet, but this is the last official season. Gotcha. Okay, super duper. And let's get to our L.A. trip that we had together. You were there for Pride, of course, and to come down and meet me for the Big Gay Road Trip. We had a fantastic trip to Warner Brothers Studios we'll talk about in a second. We had a nice dinner with our buddy Kyle Thomas. And then we got to see Benji Schwimmer's musical, the second annual Trump Family Special. I love the Arena that. Theater. That was hilarious <laughs> that he choreographed there. Let's start with our Warner Brothers tour. Um, big shout out to Warner Brothers for providing the tickets for you and I to go there. I had a good time. Of course, it's home to Gilmore Girls and the Ellen set and all the superhero movies, uh, Batman, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, all my CW television shows, uh, Friends, of course. Did you have a good time, buddy? I didn't. I actually have – I still have to post more pictures because I've been rolling out the pictures here and there between Pride and then the speaking engagements with LGBTQ Week. So I'm going to definitely do the Warner Brothers pictures coming up, and I know I owe, I owe a few posts of pictures of things that I had done that I know people saw me doing, but I just didn't post them yet because it's been everything's cramped up now. So I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to fit it, but I'll fit it. Well, I think I owe you about five to ten pictures for there because we had some great pictures there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I Warner Brothers is so – they have a Youngstown history where I'm from in, in New York. They actually came from here, um, the four Warner Brothers. Uh, their parents moved to Northeast Ohio to Youngstown here in 1896, and they did their very first movie theater here. and took over the Grand Old Opera House, and so there's actually a Youngstown connection to them. So I really appreciate everything they did there. We had a fun time visiting it. Gilmore Girls, of course. Uh, we know Stan, our buddy Stan Zimmerman, who wrote on that. And we got to see uh, uh, Miss Patty's dance studio. They were putting her shingle roof on, a new roof on. <laughs> and the gazebo. Yeah. I love the gazebo. Oh, the gazebo was awesome. But I've always wanted it to was a good time. I, I liked the tour. We had some good pictures there. We got to sneak into that prop room. That prop room was amazing, right? Oh, yeah. the prop. I really would have liked to take something home from that prop room, but of course not allowed. But I'm sure <laughs> I'm a prop person. I like to have some memento from every show I've ever had anything to do with. So I have... Even in moving, I have a whole bunch of hot in Cleveland mugs and T-shirts and younger stuff and all kinds of things from TV land. So I was going through, as I'm moving, I'm going through all the memories of, oh, my God, look at this. Oh, my God, look at that. I can't get this away. I can't get rid of that. I love that. We haven't talked about your, your kleptomania that so many people have on these things. I love it. <laughs> I love set-stealing things. That's what all good producers and actors should be doing is taking oh, a little memento from oh, everywhere they've been. And then, of course, we were out, like I said, all night Friday night, and we got to go to that show that was freaking hilarious that Benji did, a nice little Italian dinner. Then uh, Kyle did a, did a reading for me, and next thing I know, it's like 2 in the morning, and you were spending the night at Kyle's. I was going to go to my brother's, so I left to go there, but, uh, but he wasn't answering his phone, and my brother is a Ventura County Sheriff. So I didn't just want to show up at the door and oh, get no. shot at. Oh, so no. I wimped out and I drove back to Palm Springs at five in the morning. But you actually made it to Pride both days, right? I did. I went to Pride both days and I saw Megan Trainer on Saturday night. And then Peppermint performed in the middle of her set. Shangela performed in the middle of her set, too. So I got to see those performances on Saturday. And then Sunday, the parade. 
and then there was more performances at night, so we saw everybody that performed there. I love L.A. Pride, and I love L.A. Pride Fest, so that's something that's on my calendar every year. Nice. And give everyone uh, that's some of the highlights. What, what do you like about L.A. Pride so much? I like the way they do the festival, where it's contained in that one area, So, and you know there's a couple of stages, and the schedule is pretty obvious, so you know where everybody's performing and what times they're going to be there. Plus, you run into everyone you know inside. Once you're inside the festival, everybody's in there. And then this year, they changed it, and they put a stage outside, which was free to everybody. So that was another cool aspect of it. When you After you left oh, the parade, nice. you got to go over to this free stage and then really meet everybody that you know that had already enjoyed the parade and walked down in that direction. Very cool. I love that. And I like that you said, I mean, you're always so focused on the things that you have to do from your producer's schedule and everything in L.A. You got to have a little fun and get to Palm Springs and Burbank. Anything else fun you got to do that you didn't get to usually do when you go down to L.A.? Uh, well, I actually I had time to meet people in Palm Springs when I got to you. So I met Mel and then um, his partner, his um, partner in electricity. And oh, I got right. to see like, you got to see Terry. Yeah, I got Terry and Mel. I met Terry and Mel. And then they came to New York for New York Pride and they put on electricity here and I got to actually see the play here. Ooh, talk about that. I forgot you got to see the play. Yeah. Did you like they it? They did it in a in a church of all things, a Lutheran church though, and I knew it couldn't be Christian because they wouldn't be doing a gay play in a Christian church. But uh, uh, it no. was actually a lot better than I even anticipated it being. And I felt like it spoke to most people because in the play they're going through from the time that they had once the 10 year high school reunion. And then it goes up, I think about 30 years, it goes into the future, but yeah. And I think they're actually waiting for each other kind of throughout the whole thing. The one character is waiting for the other character because he's not get he doesn't have his stuff together and he's out and he's gay, but he's not ready to settle down. And he wants to be just like this crazy sex crazed lunatic most of the time. But uh, (laughs) over the years, they kind of realize that they're kind of meant for each other. And it reminded me of some things I've done too, except I've never waited 30 years for anybody, but we've all waited for that (laughs) one person. And then you realize either we're going to be together and this is going to be the thing, or we're never going to be together. So it really spoke to me on that personal level for sure. I'm so excited you got to see it. I've got to see it a couple times now. I've seen it both in Palm Springs and they brought it to Ohio. I hooked um, Terry up with our LGBT theater company uh, here in Ohio. Um, And so I've seen it a few times. They do an amazing job with it. And I was so glad he was able to bring it to pride and you got to see it because it really is kind of, it's funny and it's heartwarming and it's heart wrenching and it has all the feels through it. And you're right. I think a lot of people find something to relate to it. Yeah, totally. And I think even straight couples could relate to it too, because I'm sure that straight people do the same thing that we do where you're waiting for that one person. You, Timing is not right at certain points of your life, and you're waiting for the time, everything to be right, the timing, the person's attitude, your attitude, and sometimes that just doesn't work. Very much so. I think, there, I think you're right. I think it's very much universal themes. We, we have, when it was in Columbus, it was a very mixed crowd. Even at the Indulge Resort in Palm Springs, which is a gay men's clothing optional resort, they actually put a curtain over the resort that goes to the first two rooms there, so they can do it, and they have women come to the play at the resort there as well, because it does have those universal themes of uh, people getting and just love and loss and all the complications that happen in a long-term relationship, um, whether you're together or not. 
uh, unrequited love type thing. So I think you're 100% right on that. And hopefully it's going to be coming to Off-Broadway New York very shortly, and it'll be playing a lot more often. That's what I hear, and I'm sure I'll be back there bringing my friends. Pride Week, they did it in the perfect spot, though, because it was right near Christopher Street. It was right in the heart near the Stonewall, and everything was just that location couldn't be more perfect for World Pride. Nice. That's fantastic. And Mel has a place. He keeps a place in New York, so he's there quite a bit. So you guys will definitely have to keep in touch because Mel, Mel gets there when he can. And next time he goes, I get to stay with him. But Terry always goes and stays with him. Now it's my turn. Uh, I want yeah, to get to go stay in New York. <laughs> absolutely. Everybody should come and stay in New York for a little while at least. Exactly. All right, well, let's take a quick break, um, and then I want to come back. We're going to talk all about the happenings in New York. Again, we had the confluence of glitter blowing up all over the city with World Pride, New York City Pride, LGBT Week put on by Pink Banana Media and all of their co-sponsors here. So let's take a quick break here. We're going to play a little um, – well, let's we do. Let's do a little bit of Scotty Dynamo, Not Like You, you listen to the Left of Straight show right here with Tommy, Tommy Grassi right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network.
are back. That's our buddy Scotty Dynamo from up in Canada. If you have not checked out his YouTube channel, please do. He does some amazing videos, and he's an excellent actor as well. Guys, we are talking to producer and social media influencer, my buddy Tommy Garassi. Uh, Tommy, let's talk about back in New York here. We had World Pride and New York City Pride, the big parade. How did that go? I mean, as, as much people were there, was it a relatively safe and sane event, or how did everything go? I thought it was very safe. I didn't feel any at any time that it wasn't. I actually walked in the parade with um, the community for transgender equality. Oh, nice. So we, we were in the parade. We walked the whole entire route. Um, we were right in front of the Stonewall float. So right behind us was Stonewall, and then um, Donatella Versace was on that float. So they were all wearing their little Versace T-shirts, and that was kind of fun. Uh, I, and then when we were done, we, I went down into the festival here, which I actually until this year didn't know they had a festival in New York because I never knew the location. But um, one of my friends, Jorge Santana, who's with Gay Pride Bowties, I don't know if you know him. I don't but think he was, so. He was there with his bow ties, and uh, he was selling them in the festival, so I actually knew a street name. Because in New York, it's different. Like in L.A., they say that the festival is in the park in WeHo, and that's pretty obvious. In New York, you'd have to right. go back streets. What is it between? So he gave me the exact location he was at, and I went down there to see what was going on, and all the vendors and the food. And they were giving out, like, free or- packages of or- big packages of Oreos and things like that with the special for Pride. So that was fun to watch and see. And I don't think it was at nice. any point did I feel unsafe. And I left the city at midnight, and the parade was still going on. Wow. The parade That's itself cool. was still going down. I was like, how can it be? Because I know usually they try to shut everything off around 10, 11. But at midnight when I went to go to the train station, I heard and I saw the floats going by. So I knew they were still making lots and lots and lots of noise and lots of celebration. That's amazing. And what was what made it World Pride? Was there something different as part of that? Or was it all part of the same event rolled together? Or was, was there a difference between World Pride and New York City's regular yearly Pride? It was all rolled in together, and there were so many events all over, and I couldn't even get to all of them. Like Madonna was on Pride Island. I didn't get to go to Pride Island because that just didn't work out logistically for me. So it was, And you, every year I think they do it that way where New York spreads it out. So if you want to see a certain person there performing at this side of town, someone else is performing over there, sometimes they kind of overlap. So you have to really decide what it is you're going to do and then commit to that. Gotcha, gotcha. And I want to talk about your panels you were on. Um, our good buddy Matt invited you on those. They have a great LGBT week um, talking about business and advertising and media. Talk about these two panels you got to do. Yeah, one of them was at Google headquarters, which was really cool. And I felt really honored to be there because being in social media all these years and dealing with everything Google, that's, Google is like the mecca of what social media, right? So I felt like that was pretty cool. And then we were talking about being influencers on that panel. And I got to meet uh, Tommy Daddario, who's been on the Rachel Ray show. And uh, his Instagram is like completely insane with like all of the influencing that he does and all the brands that he works with. So we were on that panel. And then he was on another panel at the second one we did, which was at Lincoln Center, just as prestigious. So I enjoyed learning from them and participating in the whole conversation and I loved when we were done that when we were just socializing at the cocktail hours or the coffee breaks, people would just come up and ask you questions pertaining to what you spoke about. So it felt like you were actually contributed something important that people actually gleaned a little bit of, I hope, a little bit of 
information from that maybe they hadn't known before, or maybe we gave them a little perspective on something or an idea to go forward with their own business. So that was one of the coolest things. I enjoyed interacting with them because on social media, you're always tweeting and you're posting and you deal with people online, but when you go to one of these things, it's face-to-face. And it's a back and right, forth exactly. and a real conversation. Like when we met, too, it becomes a little different, a little more personal. I actually like that. Oh, definitely. And uh, did I asked you, I think, online, did they ever film it? Because I was hoping to see that because it sounds like an amazing time. Did they I film it? Is that going to be available for anyone? I haven't seen any film. I asked about it, and so far they've said that um, certain individuals had filmed it. So I got little clips here and there, but I don't have anything of the whole time or of our whole speech, our whole talk. Gotcha. I'll, I'll well, I will, I will check with Matt on that. What were you? What was your talk about? What were you able to share with everybody? My talk was about being an influencer, how I got started in it, and then what I've done with it so far. So basically, my contribution was that, and I think all of us on the panel actually said the same thing, where we kind of got into it by accident. You kind of go on, and you're tweeting, you're doing your thing, and you're staying in your zone because we all have interests. So my interests have always been entertainment and then travel later on. So from the entertainment part, I had met the people from TV Land because I was tweeting about Happily Divorced, which was Fran Drescher's show. Right. And not even realizing that one of my tweets had reached like 4 million people or something that night that we were tweeting. So they reached out to me and said, hey, did you realize that that tweet reached 4 million people? We'd like to invite you down to headquarters next week and in New York City and live tweet with us and maybe we'll have like a little party, a little celebration. So that became a tradition that we started doing when the shows would premiere and then when they would have season finales. But that was completely accidental. It wasn't, I didn't go out looking for it. I wasn't necessarily targeting that particular market or trying to get TV land to notice me. It was just me being me. Right. Right. I think that's what makes a real influencer. Like you talked about a little bit, it's being authentic. Everyone has their lanes and you need to be authentic because People will kind of see through that. If you're just there to sell, sell, sell and not be yourself and talk about what really interests you, it's really not going to be appealing to a lot of people, right? Right. And if you also, if you're angling everything all the time, then it's kind of, you're borderlining on just targeting people for the purpose of possibly using them for something, where if you do it, just go into it. This is what I like to do. This is me, 100%. I'm going forward. Other people will align with you, and then they're going to want to work with you just that way. Right, because you're actually sharing information and not trying to get something out of somebody else. So that's yeah. always so much more important. Um, and, and you were on a great panel. Tommy Daddario, I've followed for quite a long time. We've emailed back and forth a few times. Gio Benitez, of course, is on your local uh, yeah. ABC channel there and everything, his husband. And they are a, a great power couple there as well. Uh, and talk about the second one was more about what, what was it Lincoln Center? What was that talk more about? The sec, uh, Lincoln Center was pretty much the same thing. It was influencing and also how we got started, uh, also where we see ourselves going in the future with it. So we were discussing, I basically on that one was pretty much discussing the next steps of it where once you get in because of who you are, being yourself, you're yourself at first, somebody sees you and they want to work with you, but then what do you do? Then you have to know how to do strategy because you can't just go and work with somebody and say, I'm here, use me to your best abilities or tell me what to do. They expect you to know your own social platforms. So knowing your own social platforms, taking classes from people that you meet along the way too, where I had mentioned to them too that some of the people that work at TV Land also teach at local places in New York and they teach social media. So I took classes with them underneath them and learned 
what they knew, and I put that to use. So the strategy part is all the thinking and the knowing the numbers and crunching those numbers and keeping track of the reach and keeping track of all of the reporting that you have to do. So that's where you parlay it into something, and that's where you take it to the next level. Gotcha, gotcha. Very, very cool. And talk about that to yourself. What what do you see yourself there? I mean, you we were talking a little bit in L.A. If we can spill a little tea, you're kind of looking on maybe – retiring in five or so years from the day job and maybe moving to LA. What do you see yourself doing in the future? Do you see anything kind of changing from what you're doing now? Any goals, personal goals for yourself? I'd like to do more producing, which I am doing. So there's a short film. It's a thriller called Sins Unveiled that I'm producing, uh, associate producer on. And then there's another associate producer gig that I have, which is a documentary that's called, um, stigma and it's called growing up in Hollywood. So it's basically about kids growing up in Hollywood and how they get affected by that whole Hollywood machine and whether they can navigate it properly or not. So that's another project that I'm doing. And then I'm looking for other things to do. And I'd, I actually like to keep producing. I'd like to do maybe more um, background work too, because I enjoy doing that. And then social media still. And I'd actually like to retire from the day job quicker than five years if I can. I'd like to do that by the end of this year. <laughs> we'll see. Nice, nice. And I, I would like to be by coastal more than – I mean, I love L.A., and I'd like to be there most of the time, but I still have to come back to New York for my family and for Broadway and for those things that I do here, and I just really – I love the beat of this city. So I actually would like to travel a lot too. Yeah, I kind of felt the same way. This is a, this was kind of a little test for me because, as you know, I kind of take care of my mom here in Ohio. And I was a little worried about – but she stayed here for three weeks on her own and did pretty good. She doesn't feed herself right. She gains too much weight. Yeah, <laughs> she actually did pretty well while she was here. And so it was kind of a nice little test. And I think – I'm thinking on doing the same thing, maybe finding a place in either Palm Springs or L.A. and maybe bebopping three months back and forth. Uh, between the thing, I think it might be a little more doable because I think I would miss Ohio. It is a little, it's not a cultural center of anything, but it's also a lot more laid back and less traffic. And there are some good seasons here. So I kind of think you're on, you're on, you're on to something there, my friend. Yeah, I think it would work out for me too. I mean, I could even see myself doing maybe a podcast or something like that down the line, especially with the travel stuff now. Like I'm going on this cruise in August with this, um, Vacaya, it's called. And if people want to follow, want to come with me, actually, they can come. I'm going to be posting some stuff, some links and things about that coming up. So I'd love to see familiar faces on the cruise. And I like doing things like that. So if I go on cruise or if I go on my trips to L.A. for Pride, I actually would like to travel around different Prides. That would actually be a very cool thing to do. That would be a fun. I mean, like Raymond Braun did a semi-documentary on that, focusing on three or four of them in kind of out of the way places, but it would be amazing to do a, just do a whole um, series on social media or something about going pride to pride to pride. That would be amazing. Yeah. I mean, I've expanded a few more, so I'll be in Orlando again this year, which I did last year. I want to do Palm Springs pride again. I'm going to go down to the grand resort while I'm in Florida, most likely. Um, So that kind of traveling to me, if I could put something together where I'm going on a cruise, but yet I'm going to hit a, a pride spot and then, I'm going to go to the Grand Resort, and I'm going to hang out there, but I'm going to do Pride there. So I'd like to connect traveling with the Pride. Right. I think I think that's a great way to do it, too. And I was I was even kind of shocked. That I, was, I called – I built my big gay road trip to Palm Springs and back. I did try to stop at different areas of LGBT interests along the way, 
But just by random circumstance, I go to, to spend uh, five days in, in Vegas on my way back because my best friends have moved there. And my best friend actually does scorekeeping for the WNBA team in Vegas called the Aces there. And it was Pride Night there when I was there. So I got to go to Pride Night for the uh, Las Vegas Aces Women's National Basketball League Association. That was a lot of fun. So there's so many things you don't even think about that are Pride-related that really can turn into travel opportunities. So I love that idea. Yeah, I think it's it just fits too because it's kind of you're going to do them anyway. I, or at least I know I'm going to do them anyway, and I'd like to go to experience more because each city I go to has little differences, and there's a lot of, also a lot of similarities, and you have fun in different ways. Like when I was in uh, go to Florida and go to the Grand Resort, that's a relaxing time. That's a great time. But Indulge was amazing too. I was relaxed there. I felt like it was a little home for me, away from home. So that was really cool. Right. We may we may have to co-op a house together in Southern Cal somewhere, and each of us take turns on three months at a time. <laughs> Seriously, right? Because that actually <laughs> each works. Each other out. for a week at a time and <laughs> trade off. Here's the keys. It's been a nice week. I'll see you in three months. <laughs> that would be fun. Oh my gosh, crazy times. All right, my friend. Well, I have a little bit of a longer pre-tape interview coming up in just a couple seconds. Please share with all my listeners where they can find you and follow you on social media. Well, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and pretty much all over as Tico71. That's T-E-E-C-O-71. And then you can also find me on Facebook, Tommy Jirasi, and uh, friend me there if you want. I'll friend you back. And then just keep track of what I'm doing because, like I said, the cruise is coming up. I'm going to be posting some links for that. And then people can get like a treated a little bit special if they use my link and come along with us. I don't know if it's a clothing optional cruise, but it's a gay cruise, so... I have no idea if that's the way it's going to go, possibly. It'll be clothing off to one of those days. That's probably, right? We're say. going from New York up to Canada <laughs> and then back, and we're stopping all the, all places throughout. So we're going to be in Provincetown. So, yeah, that's going to be a really fun cruise. Seven nights. Where does it go out of? Does it go out of New York City there? It goes out of New York City, and then it goes up the coast, and then it stops off, I think, Provincetown, a couple other places, ends up in Canada, and then comes back around. Fantastic. And for those of you who don't know, Tommy does a lot of great interviews himself. He has his own website where he interviews oh, yeah, people fantastic. all over entertainment, pop culture, and let everyone know where they can find those as well. That is uh, Tico71.com. You can go there and you can find all kinds of interviews with people that I know you've had on your show, like Aris Yagos, and then I have Matt Stern. Actually, I'm going to be interviewing him soon. I have to get to his interview, and then we'll be posting all that up. And whoever I meet along the way usually becomes part of that blog. Fantastic. I absolutely love it. Well, my friend, thanks so much for being, you know, this is my very first show of my fifth season. I started exactly four years ago. Yeah, you are, you are my, uh, thank you. You are, you are my first, first live official guest on season five and I couldn't ask for a better friend to do it. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. What an honor that is. And if five means you're legit now, because four years, I think the government allows you to, when you're doing your taxes, they say you can say that it's a hobby, but once you get past the fourth, you're legit. (laughs) There you go. Exactly. Now I can start writing things off maybe. Yay. All right, well, stay on the line for me, my friend. Guys, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to do a pre-taped interview with Jeffrey Mark, who I got to meet down in Palm Springs. He's a Palm Desert resident who 
is just an uh, knows everything about anything. He's an encyclopedia of show business. He knows Lucille Ball. He was there when John Lennon got shot in New York. He slept with Freddie Mercury. He has a cookbook with Kathy Garver from Family Affair and wrote a book on Ella Fitzgerald. It's an amazing interview. You don't want to miss it. Stay tuned for that. We're going to play out here with a little bit of Jay Knight, crazy tonight. And when we come back, the incredible Jeffrey Mark. Thank you, Tommy Grassi. We'll Thank be back you for having on the Lucky Show in just a couple moments.
are back. Guys, my next guest has been called a virtual encyclopedia of the entertainment industry. From living across this great country of ours to writing and performing, he's been on off-Broadway on stage doing stand-up and cabarets, radio hosting, producing, and writing. You name it, I think he's probably done it. He's written about my love, which you all know, Lucille Ball, Ethel Merman, a family affair cookbook, and even a biography of Ella Fitzgerald. He hits every category. We're so lucky to help him have him here while we're in our Palm Springs live big gay road trip here. Please welcome to the show for the very first time, Mr. Jeffrey Mark. Jeffrey, how are you doing today? Wow, what an introduction. I can't wait to hear what I have to say. I can't too. It's going to be exciting stuff. Thanks for taking the time to join us in the desert today. Buckle up your seatbelts, kids. We're going to have a good time. Now, how long has this been your home? You're not from here originally. Talk about that. What brought you to the desert? My lungs. Uh, I've been here about ten and a half years, and I just love it. Not that there's, I, I'm from Brooklyn, New York, and I spent some significant time outside of Baltimore. Very nice places, but there's no place else I'd rather live than out here in the California desert. Yay! Yay! That's here for the sun. I'm enjoying it. We're we're down to. I like the 104. I found out that I tend to, I'm a little bigger guy, Jeffrey, and I tend to melt around 106. So last two days were a little tough on me. Uh, today's like 105. I'm good there. I can handle that. You can't see your host, but he is extraordinarily tanned. I, however, am not. I am blonde and pale, and uh, I love the heat, but I stay out of the sun. You use the, the, screen, the uh, sunscreen and all that stuff, I bet, too. You're probably good. I'm not, obviously, I didn't do that. I walk from my home to my car and from my car to my destination. <laughs> the sun never gets a chance. Oh, my goodness. All righty. Well, I'm, I'm learning. I, I will have the, uh, unfortunately, I'll live with it eventually here once I start to uh, get a little older than I am now, which is old enough. Thank you very much. Um, talk about what kind of a kid were you growing up in New York? Um, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, talk about the early, di- early life. Well, I was born in a trunk. Um, <laughs> that's a reference to a star is born for the straight folks who are listening to this. <laughs> I was born in New York in mid-century, uh, the 20th century. I'm a baby boomer. should give you an idea of my age. Uh, I have always, always wanted to be in show business. There's never been a time where I didn't know I was going to end up in show business. Wow. And you mentioned Lucille Ball. My mother said, that I learned to talk very early because I would watch I Love Lucy and I thought she was talking directly to me, so I talked directly back to her. Oh, my goodness. So there was that connection, and I have found that, you know, I've spoken through the years to thousands and thousands, if not tens of thousands, personally, Lucille Ball fans. And, of course, I've spoken to almost everybody who ever worked with her in any capacity. That show had such an impact on so many human beings. Right. And of course, it's not just Miss Ball. It's the 150 extraordinarily talented people who worked with her. Sure. But I wanted to do that. On Monday nights on CBS, if you were a youngster in the early 1960s, they had two game shows on CBS, To Tell the Truth and I've Got a Secret, followed by The Lucy Show, which was her second sitcom. Right. And as a family, perhaps it was the only thing we all watched together because 
I, I don't know what would have happened if I couldn't have been allowed to watch Lucy on television, but they were so afraid of that, it never didn't happen. Oh, wow. So my grandparents, my great-grandmother, and I lived in one house together. We'd watch these three shows. To tell the truth, had a panel of Orson Bean, Peggy Cass, and two people who became friends of mine, Tom Poston and Kitty Carlisle. Oh, wow. Only I am a very little guy at this point. <laughs> My grandmother was an amazing woman. She worked at a time when women didn't work. She was an equal rights person for everybody at a time when no one in my purview felt that way. And she felt that Kitty Carlisle, who was uh, an operetta singer, a musical comedy star, and perhaps almost as well known for being Moss Hart's wife and being the star to tell the truth as everything else. But she thought Kitty was the epitome of what a classy woman should be. My grandmother used her. Like, look, Jeff, look how she handled that. Look how that guy just kind of insulted her and she just lifted her shoulder and laughed it off. And my mother would say to her, Mom, he's three years old. What does he need with Kitty Carlisle? <laughs> and my grandmother would say to her, you don't even know what's in your son. These are the people he's going to grow up with. He's got to know how to with them. One particular evening, she said, one day, she's going to be in Kitty Carlisle's living room, and he's going to tell her this story and laugh at you. Forty-six years later, I was in Kitty Carlisle's living room. Oh, my goodness. My grandmother had passed. I was there at Miss Carlisle's invitation because she wanted me to bring her a copy of my book on Ethel Merman. Hmm. And I got to sit in her incredible apartment off Fifth Avenue in New York City, right up in the private elevator that opens into her apartment and watch her take a singing lesson. She was in her 90s. And I told her this story. It was no longer funny. It was sad because so much time had gone. Right. But if I never did anything else in my career besides that, that made all the hard work worth it. And I didn't make it happen. I didn't call her. She called me. It just, my grandmother knew, and it happened just the way she said. Wow, that's amazing. My dad would be jealous of Tom Poston because Suzanne Plachette was the be-all, end-all for my dad. And he almost ran over in Beverly Hills one time, going around the corner. And so I, I believe they were married for quite a while, weren't they? They had a wonderful wedding announcement. They had a play together in New York. And if you saw the front of the announcement, it was the Playbill cover. Oh. And then you opened it up, and it's the two of them at that moment in the same position. And it said, the revival is better than the original. Oh, that's classic. Oh, my goodness. Susie was married for many, many years to a lovely man named Tom. Right. Tom was married for many, many years to a lovely woman named Kay. And Kay and Tom, Susie's husband, both passed away within weeks of each other. And they ran into each other twice at the two funerals. Hmm. And they'd already been friends. And it hasn't happened to me yet, but perhaps I'm not old enough, quite old enough yet. Although I am recently a widower, so I'm available, folks. (laughs) But I see quite often people who have had long relationships in show business very quickly get remarried to other people in show business. Hmm. For the companionship. Right. And it's almost like you don't upset the boat. I've lived this 
lifestyle, and bless their heart, they'll have a lot of money. Right. And they continue that lifestyle with a good companion chosen from among their friends. It's almost like recycling. Who understands the lifestyle, too. Who right? understands. Yeah. Show business, you know, Irving Berlin wrote there's no business like show business. He wasn't kidding. There is no other business in the world like it. No other business in the world runs the way it does. No other business has the rules it has, the vocabulary it has. I used to sit in Rosemary's house. We were good, good friends. Rosemary Packard, she, she wrote the forward to my Ethel Mormon book. Oh, okay. And we're sitting, we're having coffee at her house one day. And she said, I love sitting here talking to you. I can't talk to civilians. Civilians meaning somebody who's not in show business. We just have a language and an understanding other folks don't. And I've been at this whole I'm at this forty five years myself at this point. Wow. So there is that great camaraderie and understanding. Tom Poston was wonderful. Uh, I'll tell you two Tom Poston stories if you'll allow me. Sure. I'd love that. One is what a great mentor he was. Now I will say this because some of our folks listening are gay, I'm assuming. Tom wasn't a great big fan of gay people. He was one of those straight people who tolerated gay people. Okay. He would never call you a name to your face. He would never say you can't come along. But you weren't going to get, like, a warm, fuzzy hug from him. Okay. If, if that's a good explanation. Right. But we were at dinner, a whole bunch of us, and I told a joke. And he turned to me and he said... That was perfect. Not one unwasted word. Good job, Jeff. See, that's the kind of person he was. That's a great... Now, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story earlier in Offridge. We all belonged to a group of comedy people called Yarmie's Army. Yarmie's Army is named for Dick Yarmie. Dick Yarmie was a comedian, the brother of Don Adams from Get Smart. Yarmie okay. was their real last name. Dick was nowhere near as famous as Don, but for most people's tastes, a whole lot nicer person. Okay. No. Don Adams and I were good buddies. I was a very few. He stayed a good buddy with Okay. There were some people who were like that. And Dick got canceled, and his buddies took him out to lunch once a week. The doctor said, you've got weeks left. He lived for over a year, and he blamed the camaraderie of those lunches kept him going. After he died, the people who were there said, you know, we shouldn't let this die with him. And they started Yarmie's Army, because it rhymed, and there were dues to be paid, and it was a group of comedians, comedy writers, comedy directors, and people in other areas of show business music but who loved comedy. Right. You, you had to pass the test to get in. <laughs> this was not an open group, and almost no women were allowed, except Phyllis Diller and Suzanne Plachette, because they had now like truck drivers, because the, the fur flew. Right. The very first show we did together, they raised money to give a helping hand, not to newcomers or wannabes, but to people who had had major careers in show business. And even in show business, you reach a certain age, and the jobs aren't there anymore. And not everybody in show business is wealthy. Yeah, you have some money to live off of for a little while. Right. And then, you know, your car dies. You have no car to replace it. Or sure. you can't hire someone to clean your house. Or you can't get out of your house to get groceries. You need help. So we did these shows to raise money to help people. 
And this is the first time that I'm backstage with Buddy Hackett and Jonathan Winters. I mean, the list mm-hmm. is just incredible. And I'm like a sponge. I'm, I, I didn't record anything, but I'm, I'm, I have both of my ears are recording separately. Everything everybody says, because like, I'm going to learn. Mostly what happened is Tom Holston began doing baseball trivia. Really? In 1957, who had in the American League the most runs batted? In 1949, in the National League, who had this? And this goes on for about 20 minutes. And I am getting more deflated and more deflated and more deflated. And it's like, good heavens, I do not want to hear about baseball. I want to hear about show business. Right. So finally, Tom says, and I'm getting up out of my seat to leave. In 1964, who got the most balls in the face? And I, over my shoulder, said, Liberace. And he looked at me. Tom was very tall and I'm short. Right. His great big steel blue eyes. <laughs> and he looked down at me and he said, you cunt. Oh, no. And I, oh, my realized, I realized that Liberace was the punchline to a 20-minute joke he'd been setting up. I hadn't intended, because you don't do that. Right, You don't sure. step no, on another no. comedian's punchline ever. It's just you don't do that among professional comedians. I didn't mean to do it. I was showing my distaste for the whole conversation, and I happened to hit on the punchline. It took me years to make it up to him. Oh, my God. That is such a great story, though. Oh, every time I passed by him under his breath. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. I want to I want to delve in so many directions I want to go, but since you said that talking about supporting other people, one of the things I saw in the research, um, Amphar, a lot of us know Amphar because Elizabeth Aids, of course, was the face of it and everything, but it was really uh, founded by, um, uh, by a doctor that was one of the early parts of it, and you were there to kind of help the funding to get Amphar started. Talk about that story, because I think it's fascinating. Sure. In the 1980s, and I guess we need to precede this story, and this is public knowledge. I am not telling tales of my stuff. I've been talking about this for years. I am cleanly sober 30 years from alcohol and drugs. Everybody knows this. I've talked about it on a million shows. So this is not, he's revealing stuff. <laughs> anywhere on the internet, you'll see me talking about okay. this. But at that point, I was not cleanly. Okay. So my career had a lull because I wasn't paying attention. You don't pay attention, you don't work hard, you don't have a career. Right. Especially in business. My drug dealer at the time in Manhattan called me one day and he said, you know, that lunch date we had today, can we remake it for next week? I, have a, I got a cold. I have a head cold. I don't feel well. All right. About a week later, I got a call from a mutual friend. Sit down. I said, why? He said, sit down. All right. So-and-so died. Died from a head cold? From a head cold, he got pneumonia and died. He was, when they started counting bodies of deaths from AIDS, number three. Oh, my goodness. Hmm. And we had the same doctor. Let me come in and say, look, here are the symptoms. We think it's a virus. Even then, they suspected it was a virus. We think we can cure it. Just get in early. If you get these symptoms, don't make an appointment. Just come into the office and we'll cure you. I don't need to tell you that's not how it happened. Right. One by one by one, my friends were dropping dead. Mm. You know, what do you do? You're 
in your 20s, you're seeing people in their teens dying. You're seeing people in their 30s and 40s and 50s dying. This is before Liberace. This is before Rock Hudson. It was personal and close. And the straight community refused to discuss it. I guess I belong to a lot of organizations. And there is an advocate in me. I began marching in New York in the 70s at a time when you were putting your life on the line to march. Right. A sidebar. My first gay rights march was in 1976 in New York City. Mm. We marched from Greenwich Village up Fifth Avenue to the Sheep Meadow in Central Park. We stopped in front of St. Patrick's Cathedral, the largest Catholic church in New York. And there was a mob waiting for us who pelted us with glass bottles, bricks, and broken Mm. glass. Now, there's probably seven or eight of us abreast. And there's maybe 100,000 of us. No banners, no signs, no sponsors, just folks who were getting tired of how they were treated. And this is before HIV. Right. Someone called my name, and I quickly turned my head to the right. As I did, I felt the wind of the brick going by my cheek. Mm-hmm. If that person hadn't called my name, I'd have gotten clocked by that brick and probably died. Two people did die that year. Dozens of us ended up in so I put myself on the line since I was a teenager because I knew that unless I fought for my people, you know, think of Nazi Germany. I'm Jewish. If you don't fight for your people, you get vanquished. Right. And I wasn't going to let that happen. That was not what my life was going to be about, despite the year I So in the 80s, I helped found an organization called Gay Friends and Neighbors. Can we get together and not have sex and not get drunk and not get drugged? Can we go to shows together? Can we knit together? Can we cook together? Can we go bowling? Can we play baseball? Can we go to professional? What is your interest? Let's learn how to be friends. Because by this point, HIV was rearing its enormously sad and ugly head. And I became known in New York City as an advocate and a spokesperson. And there came a power with that. Not one that I asked for, just that's how it happened. Right. Let's remember our man, Dave Cantrell. He's gone now. He died of AIDS very early on. He was the first member of this group. So I can't claim I founded the group. I was one of the original seven. Just forget it right. Dr. Matilda Krim contacted me. Would you please have coffee with me? I brought Dave Cantrell, another man from the group. She said, I can't even afford to buy you a cup of coffee. I've gone to the White House. I've gone to the governor's mansion. I've gone to the mayor's mansion. No one will give me any money. But I think if I had some money, I can't cure it. But I think I can stop it in its tracks so that people can live a long life with the disease. Can you help me? And I could. So I stopped drinking and drugging for a while. And we put on a marathon, 10-hour, live variety show in Prospect Park in Brooklyn. Hmm. And about 100 men got involved. I was the host. I was the producer. I was the face. But there were 100 men behind me going to all the local merchants, getting free stuff to sell, free sodas, free beers, T-shirts, and dams that got sold out for 400 people. We did it three years in a row. That is the money Dr. Krim took with the Taylor and say, here's what I had, can you match it to start Amazon? 
That's amazing. Wow. I had no idea. You know, it's not like I sat at my table going, blah, 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 blah. I'm a part of history. It just happened that way. It's kind of like being there when John Lennon was shot. I could not plan to be standing right there when it happened. It's just the way it worked out. Good segue. Let's go into that. Uh, So we have Mark David Chapman, um, who killed John Lennon. I'm a huge Beatles fan. What the heck? Tell me the story. It is one of those happenstance things. If I wrote this in a novel, I'd be laughed at. In Manhattan, my sister from another Mr. Phyllis lived on 72nd Street. And there was a wonderful restaurant in her building called Noodles. We'd often have very late dinners. For those of you who don't live in New York or Chicago, New York City, especially back in those days, restaurants were open until 2, 3 o'clock in the morning. Uh, it was not unusual to have dinner at midnight. They were open and they wanted your business. Especially theater. Yeah, theater was a big part of that, I'm sure. So I took the subway from town where I lived, got off at 72nd Street, and walked around the corner. The building in which John and Yoko lived, the Dakota, was on the pathway. Phyllis lived across the street diagonally. And I always just, because the Dakota was such a pretty building, walked past the Dakota and then jaywalked, you can do that in New York, <laughs> and went diagonally across the building. In those days, the Dakota, because I'm sure most of you don't know this, he wasn't killed on the sidewalk. The Dakota had an archway with a driveway where limousines could pull in. There was a courtyard inside, then the front door of the building, and that's where the doorman was. All right? So if you knew all this and you wanted to kill somebody there, wow, you can hide, and the doorman isn't looking at you, et cetera, et cetera. Today, there is a great big gate there, and you can't get in. Right. In those days, it was an open arch. I am literally under the arch, bang, bang, bang. And I turn to my right, and I see that horrid person bent over Mr. Lennon, and I ran like hell because I didn't know who they were. All I know is bang, bang, bang. I'm in New York City. I'm a young gay man. You don't hang around to find out what's going on. You get the hell out of there as fast as you can. I ran and like many women, Phyllis was still in the bathtub, so I put the television on. Through the television, I found out that who I saw was Mr. Chapman and Mr. Lennon. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And I did not volunteer to be a witness because I didn't actually see them being shot, him being shot. I saw it a split second after it happened. Right. But I was there. Wow. That is amazing. Well, that's going to give us a good start. We're going to take a quick break here, guys. We're going to play in tribute to Mr. Lennon. We're going to play Pentatonic's version of Imagine. We are so lucky today, guys. We are talking with Jeffrey Mark. We're going to play a little bit of Imagine. We'll be back in just a couple of seconds. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight radio network.
Pentatonics, of course, with Imagine. Guys, we're talking with, just as I said in the intro, an encyclopedia of the entertainment business, Mr. Jeffrey Mark here. While you guys were listening to Imagine, I am getting yet another story. Not only has he been part of such interesting history as Amphar, as John Lennon being shot, you have a Freddie Mercury story? Don't tease me. I'm a Bohemian Rhapsody fiend. Talk to me. Well, there's no reason to tease you. He certainly didn't tease me. Well, I guess he did tease me for a little bit. Woohoo! Um, I don't know what year this was because this is during my party days. But it was at the height of it. Uh, my memory is this happened right after Bohemian Rhapsody came out. Okay. And Freddie was in New York, 
And there were in those days certain places that gay men hung out in, Studio 54, the Anvil, that uh, it was extraordinarily easy to meet someone for funny games. Okay. And um, since you like Lucy so much, he was so tasty, too. (laughs) I get that. So I got to be intimate with Freddie. Um, He was extraordinarily nice, clean, sexy. Um, An amazing, and I find this this is a, a Jeff thing, a wonderful balance of extraordinarily masculine and feminine at the same time. Uh, uh, if you saw him naked, you'd have nothing to fear. Uh, he was he was exactly what you think he was. And uh, he was beautiful. And I really, really enjoyed it. It was never going to be anything more than a one-night stand. That's right. exactly what it was. And it was, of the many that I've had, maybe stands out the most. I can imagine. Wow. That is amazing. I want to circle back around to what we talked about a little before Amphar. Um, amazing activist and advocate in the beginning here, New York, where so much of the stuff happened. We're in the 50 years of Stonewall this year. We're in Pride season here in June. What does Pride mean to you? Is it still part of that counter-protest? Is, are we into celebration mode? What does Pride mean to you? I don't think either extreme is necessarily healthy. Okay. In the 1970s, and I can only speak to New York City, because that's where I was. In the 1970s, you could lose your apartment or your job. You could be refused service in a restaurant. You could be refused entrance to a porn theater if they suspected. Just suspected. You didn't have to do anything. Right. The suspicion of being gay was enough to be denied anything that anybody wanted to deny you, which is why we marched. I remember the day of Stonewall, and I was only 11 years old, uh-huh. and Judy Garland had been on The Tonight Show the night before. I didn't know. I wasn't savvy enough to realize it was a videotaped rerun from the year earlier. Okay. So I'd seen it. Mm-hmm. And now I'm having my cereal and watching Sunday morning kids TV and the news about Stonewall starts to break in the afternoon. And I'm sure you all know the story by now. New York gay bars got raided constantly. They chose this day to raid. They raid a transvestite bar called Stonewall. And the folks there begged them, hey, beat us up tomorrow. Could you leave us alone today? And they said, is it okay to curse on this show? Oh, yeah. They said, fuck no. And they said, oh, really? And took off their high heels and beat the New York City Police Department up. They called for more cops. We called for more people from more bars. And the gay population of New York City beat up the entire New York City Police Department. That is Stonewall. And after that, we remember it every year. Right. Do not, any of you who are younger than I, which is most of you, feel that we've arrived. We have not arrived. There will always be people who hate us. 
There will always be people who want to murder us, want us off the face of the planet. So Stonewall for me is remembering that the fight is never over. I, I loved the, the remark they used in the civil rights days, which are still happening, because that fight isn't over yet. Either or for Jews or for anybody else who's not a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant male in this country. We're not where we want to be. We're not where we're going to be. But thank God we're not where we were. That's how I feel about pride. I wish that gay men didn't take pride as a moment to get drunk and stoned and naked and stupid. That's the face we put on our celebration. No wonder folks who have never met us don't like us. Good point. I wish we could use pride to inform the folks who have never met us. No, I know. They've met us. They don't know they've met us. We're everywhere. I know that, guys. I'm older than you. <laughs> I went to college in Fayetteville, Arkansas. I met more gay people there per capita than in Palm Springs. We're <laughs> everywhere. I get it. But they don't know that. And if they would see that we raise kids, that we have jobs, that we sweep the floor, that we play baseball, that we go to church or don't go to church just like they do, I think the gap between us would be so much easier to cross. Now, is it better today? Yes. Are young people today, children, teenagers, young people, a whole lot more open about us than they used to be? Yes. Won't it be great when people won't have to be open to us, just we're another person on the planet? Right, exactly. You know, and the difference is I have red hair and your hair is kind of blonde, and that's all we see. That's what I'd love pride. Not, it won't be in my lifetime, but someday. Now, would I ever dream, dream that men could get married today? Yeah. Here's a story I have not told very often yet. And I think this is a good gay pride story since we're in gay pride month. It's not show business, folks. It's not about a celebrity, except it's about me. And somebody else, if you live on the East Coast, you might know who this man is because he was a radio personality in Pennsylvania. My first day of high school in a musical theater class, because I was in a very progressive place, I was teamed up with a a boy, a young man, three and a half years older than I was, to do a song together. On his third sentence, I looked in his, I'm looking in your host's eyes right now. (laughs) I looked in his eyes the way I'm looking in your eyes, and I knew in that moment, A, that I was gay, and B, that I would be in love with him for the rest of my life. Wow. Here's the problem. I was only 13, about to be 14. He was 17, six months shy of 18. His name was Joel Kabik. He became a big-time radio personality in southern Pennsylvania. And he couldn't deal with it. His family were homophobic. His father was very homophobic. Mm -hmm. And Joel liked women. He was bisexual. Because there are bisexuals. There are. So here was his problem. I'm underage. He loves breasts and vaginas. He loves me more. So we had a relationship 
where we didn't live together. He married. He had children, who are my children. And I had relationships because I wasn't going to live a monastic life. But my heart belonged to him. And we were in constant communication and saw each other quietly when we could for 47 years. Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. And he passed away on January 17th. Mm, So sorry to hear that. Thank you. Uh, You would be amazed how many stories like this I have heard. Where we are sitting, and your folks don't know where we are sitting. We are sitting in a lovely resort in Palm Springs, and there is a play that goes on in this resort called Electricity Mm -hmm. about two men who meet in high school who never lived together but love each other all their lives. It couldn't, no, there are some of the details aren't the same. Joel and I were always together. There was no non-communication. Right. In the play, they only meet once every so many years. We had Terry and Mel on this past week. So, yeah. They're good friends of mine. And, uh, but I I go to it and I sit and cry because it is basically my story. Mm. And uh, our daughter has given me permission to talk about him publicly now. Uh, She's proud of him. She's proud of me. Uh, she feels as if she had a mother and two, two fathers, and uh, I wish I could see my kid more often, but it is a joy to be a father and a grandfather, and uh, that's what he bequeathed to me, his best possessions. The things that meant the most to him is kids, and I am That's happy. amazing. That's awesome. I love that story. Wow. Very, very cool. Thank you for sharing that. That's uh, that's good stuff right there. You see, he wanted something nobody else had, and I always have something in my pocket I can pull out. I liked it. That that is that is something I was not expecting. My my listeners know I, I usually know exactly where things are going. I usually have a surprise myself, but no, I was surprised. Though. All right, we don't have much time because you have a lot of stuff to do there. I want to get some of this writing a bit. Now, like I said, I am a huge Lucille Ball fan. Um, this was called um, Inside Television's Greatest. I just found out this year, it's really funny, um, I was born and raised in Southern California and banished to Northeast Ohio for 17 years, I'd say. Um, one of our things as kids, uh, high school, um, college, we used to go Christmas caroling in Beverly Hills every year. And as you know, in Beverly Hills, a lot of the old-time stars, movie stars, homes, are out open. They're not behind the gates on everything. So we would go, and of course, on Lucy's house, Lucy was right in the corner there. You had, um, you went, you had Agnes Moorhead down the street. So we would, that would be the street we'd go to every year. And she would, if she was home, that little window above her front door was there. And we would sing Lucy Christmas carols probably four out of seven years we were doing it. Just amazing. And so I've kind of paid tribute and gone to her house every year that I come back of these 17 years until I couldn't find it anymore. And I just found out that the owners redid the entire facade. So what I thought was, because they were so sick of everyone coming to see Lucy's house, they redid it all. And I thought I was going absolutely crazy, uh, Jeffrey. It was like, I know this is where we used to come do this. And now the owners redid the facade. It looks nothing like her old house. But It's an amazing street because on the same street, 
Across the street on one side was Jimmy Stewart. Right. Directly across the street was Rosemary Clooney. Next door was Jack Benny. Down the street was Dion Warwick. Around the corner were Joey Bishop and Jack Carter. All on one little block. Uh, it never ceases to amaze me the effect Miss Ball had on everybody who's ever seen this show, including my grandchildren, who tell me, because, you know, until they heard about it from their other grandfather, they didn't know. They love it. They can't believe they're watching a black and white television show and loving it. Right. There is this thing. I don't know hardly of any other performer whose fan base is as large, as stoic, as devoted as Ms. Balls. So you mentioned a TV special that I wrote and produced called Inside Television's Greatest I Love Lucy, and I wrote the Lucy book. This right. is a story of all of right. her television work, and it's coming out again next year in a new version with her radio shows, her films, oh, and Broadway. Okay. So Lucy fans, keep it on the lookout. So here's what I'm going to say to you and for our people out there, since we're not live and they can't call in, about their work. What did you always want to know that you never could find out? I'll bet I can give you the answer. About Lucy? Mm-hmm. Um. I just want to know the dynamic because we heard all the back and forth about Fred and Ethel not getting along. And then she was dealing with all of her marital things with Ricky. What was her, and she's producing this show. What were her thoughts about this whole merry band she'd had gathered around her? Well, let me, let me correct a few things you said. Ms. Ball did not produce anything. She had two persons upon whom she relied. Jess Oppenheimer, whose name does not get enough attention, created the show, had been producing and writing along with Bob Carroll Jr. and Madeline Pugh, Davis Martin, her radio show, My Favorite Husband, upon which the show is based, and created I Love Lucy and produced it for five of its six seasons. Desi Arnaz became the executive producer of the show. Okay, so I know that the production studio now as a, as a physical place. Gotcha. Did they, did right. they, okay. Desi Lou. Not part of Paramount. They re- they rented space out. Okay. Because CBS didn't realize they were buying what they got. They and Philip Morris, the original sponsors, thought they were getting a live sitcom that was going to emanate from New York City. Hmm. And they called Desi and said, when are you guys coming out? And he said, what do you mean coming out? We're only doing this so we can live in our house in Chatsworth on our little ranchette and have a family and, and be together in our home. Right. And they said, you can't do that. Live TV from L.A., there was no cable yet. I don't mean like cable TV. I mean a coaxial cable. <laughs> so that if you were – because there were shows that came from Los Angeles. Sure. On CBS. Right. But they were filmed – on a, what's called a kinescope. They put a 16-millimeter movie camera on a special monitor, made a film of the live show, and two weeks later you saw it in New York. The ones that were done live in New York were shown two weeks later on the West Coast. And they said, our cigarette smokers far outweigh east of the Mississippi and the West because television, there weren't very many stations west of the Mississippi. Right. We want the best quality for the East Coast. And Desi said, great, let's film it. They said, no, no, no. We've seen Miss Ball do My Favorite Husband. She comes alive in front of an audience. We want Lucille Ball, best quality picture in front of an audience. And Desi said, 
why don't we film the show in front of an audience? That was his idea. Really? Did he and Lucille make that happen personally? No. 100 very talented people, including the producer, Jess Oppenheimer, the man who invented the editing process, Dan Kahn, and a brilliant, genius, Oscar-winning cinematographer named Carl Freund, who all came to work for scale, the, the, the union minimum, made this happen. Now, why people didn't get along? Bill Frawley read in the trades about this. He'd worked with Lucille before. He knew them socially. He called up Desi. Let's have lunch. They had a play, lunch at a place called Nicodell's in Hollywood. He said, why haven't you considered me for this? What can the other guys do that you're thinking of that I can't? And Desi said, it's not the things that they can do that you can. It's the thing that you do that they don't. Meaning Bill <laughs> Frawley was a massive alcoholic. Right. And this is the agreement they came to at lunch. The first time Bill Frawley showed up for a rehearsal or a filming drunk, they'd write him out of that week's show. If it happened twice, they would blackball him from show business. And Bill said, all right, now then, I'm a big New York Yankees fan. Every year if the New York Yankees are in the World Series, you have to get me to wherever they are, first-class travel, first-class hotel, and two tickets to the game. They shook hands, and every year I Love Lucy was on in prime time. The Yankees were in the World Series. I love that story. Oh, my gosh, that's amazing. So they have Fred, who was not in the original pilot. The original pilot only had Lucy and Ricky and the agent Jerry. I had heard that. The older couple were a leftover idea from my favorite husband. Originally, B. Benedict, who was Gracie Allen's best friend on the Burns and Allen show, the voice of Betty Rubble and the Flintstones, Kate Bradley at Petticoat Junction. She's done everything. And Gail Gordon. Now, remember Gail Gordon's name because he comes back to Lucille Ball many, many, many times. Gail Gordon was doing a radio version of RMS Brooks and could not be afforded for the small budget of I Love Lucy. B. Benedict was doing the Burns and Allen show on live TV every other week. She wasn't available to do the show. So they get Bill Frawley. It's like tip-top, tip-top. We're getting ready to have the first reading. There's no Ethel Mertz. Mark Daniels was the original director of Isle of Lucy. He knew a woman who had been Ethel Merman's understudy in two Cole Porter musicals, had become a Broadway star, both in musicals and in very sharp comedies. And she had a nervous breakdown and hadn't worked in a while. But she was in La Jolla outside of San Diego doing a version of one of her Broadway hits. And he said, we really ought to check her out. She's very special. So Desi and Jess Oppenheimer and Mark went down and saw her work and hired her on the spot. Wow. That's how Vivian Vance came to I Love Lucy. First day, first reading around the table, every sitcom, you sit down, the actors are there, you read through it, and all the people who are there who need to be there for costumes and makeup and lighting and sets, everybody has to listen. Bill Foley is the first one there. He was never going to be late after the agreement he made. Desi is there. The producer is there. The writers are there. This ball is going to make an entrance. We get that. Vivian Vance shows up, and she greets Desi, 
And she says, not knowing any better, who's the old coot sitting over there? Oh, my goodness. And he said, honey, that's the man who's going to play your husband. She said, husband? He can play my grandfather. Now, Bill hears this. Oh, my goodness. The nicest thing he ever called her was a sack of doorknobs. <laughs> Usually, it was much worse than that. Oh, my goodness. Now, Miss Ball comes on the set, and she goes over to Vivian. She didn't know her. Ms. Ms. Vance had done a, just a, one film in New York and a couple of films not known in the film industry. And for whatever reasons, Ms. Ball had never seen Ms. Vance in the Broadway stage. Okay. What are you here to read for? And Miss Vance said, I'm not here to read for anything. I've been hired. I'm Ethel Mertz. And Lucille said, you can't be Ethel Mertz. Miss Vance said, why? You're young. You're pretty. Your hair is the same color as mine. You have a nice figure. You're sophisticated. And Vivian said, what does Ethel Mertz look like? She's overweight. She's dumpy. She has badly bleached blonde hair with dark roots. She wears bad shoes. She doesn't walk well. She's one of those women you see walking around who didn't take care of themselves. And Vivian said, I can't do that this week. I can probably do it by next week. And if you watch the first episode actually shot, where, where Lucy thinks Ricky's trying to murder her, Vivian's hair is red, the same color as Lucille's. She's thin. This is how they fixed that. Vivian had a woman in Santa Barbara that she knew who did really good hair color. And she would go there and give Lucille exactly what she wanted with the hair. She didn't wear false eyelashes. She wore just some lipstick and enough makeup because you have to under harsh lights for television. They bought all of her clothing from Orbox off the rack and one size too small, including underwear, bras, panties, no girdle. Really? So that no matter how thin Miss Vance was, her clothing looked like she was three pounds of sausage in a two-pound casing. <laughs> it gave the illusion of being flat. Right. It gave the illusion of having dark roots on black and white television. Right. It didn't have dark roots, just darker blonde than the other parts. Right. right. And she wore, um, what do you call those? She was wedgies. Okay. So that she didn't have heels. She had these wedged you can't walk gracefully on them. No woman can. Right. That's what she wore. That became her thing. And, of course, as the years went by and they aged, right. they didn't have to try so hard. She, <laughs> she was just dumpy enough to fit the part. Right. And Lucille found that Miss Vance was magic, that Miss Vance was able to, along with the rest of them, dispel disbelief because unless you do that, you cannot pull a baby elephant out of the bedroom and make us at home believe that anyone could have gotten an elephant in New York City up four flights of stairs in a brownstone and hidden in a bedroom with nobody knowing about it. Right, right. You cannot put too much yeast into bread, open the oven door, and have the loaf of bread come out three times as deep as the oven actually is. That's a cartoon. But they believed in it so much as actors that we at home believed it with them. That's the magic of Island Lucy. I love that story. Man, that is so cool. 
Hey, and you're right. I, I agree. I agree. I have so much more I want to talk about, and we have to get you out of here. But you know what? You'll have me back again for another show. We're going to do that. We're going to do a call-in show for sure. Um, but we have to talk about Family Affair Cookbook with Kathy Garber, who we're going to be talking about in the show while we're here in Palm Springs. Um, I also want to – Bob Newhart. I'm a huge Bob Newhart fan. I make up Bob Newhart endings to his uh, classic Jack, show. Jack Riley and I were extraordinarily close. For a very long time. Wow. Uh, so the next time we get together, we can talk about Jack Riley and me. I Another thing that. that nobody knows, uh, except for his son. And uh, more stories about Ethel Merman and Ella Fitzgerald and... Uh, An Elvis show in Palm Springs. I want to hear about Elvis in Palm Springs. There's so much we can talk about. Well, I'll come back as often as you have me. So, folks... We don't mean to tease you exactly, but stay tuned to this show because I've got a lot of stuff to tell you about. We are going to be having Jeffrey back a lot. We can't – we're going to finish it up now, but we can't stop without this look. I read about the look. (laughs) And we are on radio, which I despise greatly because we have – look, it says signature signature look is this um, hat. Um, I will tell you how this came about. I need to know. I'm on a need because we're we're in radio. Your host is actually sitting here naked, but we, we don't tell anybody about that. They'll be picked. Look down below. Look down. You're, you're screaming it now. Look down the slideshow below, you guys. I'm it won't fit all in the picture, but you know, I'll show you some of it. <laughs> we'll talk about Milton Berle next time too. Speaking about it, is Milton Berle? Oh, uh, we could talk about Milton Berle or uh, Jonathan Winters. You got oh, my well, heart. Oh my well, God. Well, 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 Milton is one of my mentors. I'm, I'm, I'm the luckiest son of a bitch in the world. I've had sounded. the best people in the world mentoring me. But my look, just see the guys what he's talking about. I was doing a show many years ago in Los Angeles, and Rip Taylor and Chuck McCann came to see me. And they invited me out to dinner afterwards. And, you know, these are Rip's words. Jeffrey, you are magic on the stage, but you dress like an accountant. <laughs> and he sent me to a store in West Hollywood and the store was inside of a restaurant. So it was a restaurant that had stores in the restaurant. Right. Sort of like the old French marketplace. It was a French marketplace. Okay. Because it's no longer there, I thought. I well, know. I it's it. so sad. It's so sad. All of my hangouts in L.A. Yeah, even not. the bad wood is all peeling that they have coming up. What a shame. That was and my favorite restaurant. It was my favorite restaurant. And they were my uh, sponsors on the radio when I had the Jeffrey Mark show. Oh. Anyhow, we're getting off topic. We won't ever, ever, ever bore you guys. So we went to dinner at the Hamburger Hamlet on Sunset Boulevard, which was the place for all of us in show business at that time. You'd go there, and there was a special cub room off to the side, and even the woman who sat you, Frances, had been on Broadway, was the winner of awards, and the wife of a very, very, very famous jazz musician, and the best friend of Dionne Warwick. That's the woman who sat you, never mind who you sat with. And we sat and talked, and he sent me to this restaurant that had this place. And it was hooker wear. It was, and I did, <laughs> you know, I'm from New York. Button down shirts and right, shirt right. ties and Florsheim shoes. That's what I knew. And I saw some hats that were like $50, sparkly caps, not, not big hats, baseball cap type hats or cab driver type hats. And I wasn't going to spend $50 on something that I thought was outrageous. 
The next night I was there eating a very late dinner, and I was leaving to go on my first cruise as an entertainer. I'd never been on a cruise one way or another. The shop was closing up. The guy looks at me, comes over, sticks, not the one I'm wearing right now, but a, yeah, I'm not naked here. I had <laughs> on my head, he said, you need this, and put his finger in my face, pointing at my nose, and then held up five fingers, five bucks. Now, I'm a New Yorker. My first reaction was, why are you in my space? Five bucks. <laughs> it was $50 yesterday. Wait a minute. You need this. I heard that. I gave him the five bucks. I took the hat on the ship with me. We had a dress rehearsal for my show. And I told the lighting guy, when the cruise director introduces me, black out the stage. I want no ambient light at all. Hit me with a spotlight just below my ribs, about six inches above my head, and just follow me wherever I go with the spotlight. And the hat I wore was black, and it didn't have sequins. It had little mirrors on it. So when I came out, it looked like my head was on fire. <laughs> so I was wearing a three-piece suit, and my head was on fire. Blah, 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 Jeffrey Mark. And, of course, they give you a wonderful ovation because they're in the middle of the ocean. They've got no place to go. <laughs> it's not like they can go to the boat down the street. Right, you right. You're it, okay? <laughs> they have to like you. And I come out, I take the microphone, and they all start to laugh as I walk back and forth, moving my head enough that the thing is glistening in their eyes. And I let the laugh die just enough, not completely. You have to sort of hear the right space. Right. And I said... What? I haven't done anything yet. Another laugh. And I wear glasses. In those days, I didn't wear glasses on the stage. And I opened up my beady little Jewish eyes as wide as I could and looked as innocent as this face can look, which is not <laughs> very innocent. Folks. And I started looking around everywhere like, what are you laughing at? Giving them time to laugh. And when that, that wonderful little sweet spot came where I knew it was time to talk, I just opened my eyes, like Lucy, maybe, as mm -hmm. wide as I could, and I said, what, the hat? I folded my arms and just stared at them like Jack Benny for a minute. Uh -huh. now, a minute may not sound like a very long time. On the stage, on the stage, a minute is an eternity, and just stared them down. I let the laugh die, and I told them what I just told you guys, how I had the hat on my head, and I grabbed it by the bill, and went to throw it off into the wings. And they, as one, yelled, no! <laughs> I was honestly surprised. And I said, you like this? They said, yes! I said, all right. I shrugged. I did my show. I went backstage. I toweled off, took off the hat. And part of your contract is you have to go out there and, you know, shake babies and kiss hands. Right. And be part of the people. Sure. I come out. Where's the hat? Where's the hat? Where's the hat? Where's the hat? All right, I'll go get it. Wait a minute. And I ran backstage and picked it up off the floor and dusted it off and put it on my head. Met and Greg greeted everybody and walked the ship. You have to go to all the lounges and all the places. What I did not know because I was new at this is that they like your show, they're videotaping it. And if they like it, they show it at 1130 on closed circuit TV all through the ship. Oh, wow. Okay. They like my show. So instead of The Tonight Show or Late Night with somebody else, it was right. the Jeffrey Mark Show. So the, the ship's uh, theater only held, I don't know, 600 people, which was at a full house. But the ship held many more people than showed up. The next morning, 
the captain, the crew, the officers, the people 16 floors down who make your food, everyone has seen the show. I leave my cabin to go for brunch. Where's the hat? Where's the hat? Where's the hat? If I had been a Bugs Bunny cartoon, there would have been a light bulb above my head. They like this. The next cruise I brought three hats. The next cruise I brought eight hats. At home now, I have 75 sparkly caps, four sparkly fedoras. I don't know how many ties and vests and scarves and jewelry to match, and that is my signature. And it's because of my dear friend, Rip Taylor. That is amazing. And anyone would look like an accountant next to Rip Taylor, but just that entire story brings it all together. Jeffrey, Mark, I'm having the best time. We're going to have you on many, many more times. Um, let everyone know where they can find you, um, find some of your work, and we're going to have you on a lot. Where should they be looking for you? Well, if you go on Facebook, my name is spelled G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y-M-A-R-K. You can always find me there to ask questions. My latest book on Ella Fitzgerald, Ella, I don't know, a biography of the legendary Ella Fitzgerald, is still for sale. You can buy it on Amazon.com, or you can buy it directly from me if you want it autographed and a personal inscription. And it's a wonderful book, and it comes with music, but I've chosen just for you guys out there. The rest of my books are out of print, so you have to go and find them someplace. Search. Search for oh, them. Search. It means I don't make any money off of them. But I'm happy they're still out there. I will be doing a tour in the fall. Uh, I believe, of Virginia, Washington, D.C., Baltimore, and New York, where I'll be singing the unknown Ethel Merman songbook. Amazing. Songs you would never associate with her, but that she did, and she did really, really well. And I'll be doing some more jazz, singing some of Ella's things, the full arrangements. That will just with the piano. Uh, I'm on radio. I'm on television. I hosted the Palm Springs International Comedy Festival a few months ago, so you may see me in comedy comedy clubs around the country, and not to bring all of us down after this wonderful show, but my dear friend and physician passed away, and I have to go to her funeral. We, we will get it done. Sad, but uh, it's, you're, you're ending on a high note with us, but we appreciate you doing that and bringing my audience up. Thank well, you. So I will tell you in 30 more seconds, his name is Steve Scheibel, and there are thousands and thousands of people alive today because he was one of those very few people who actually was a healer and cared about you body, mind, and spirit. Mm. And I'm as healthy as I am today because of him. He was a giant. I've gotten to walk with a lot of giants. Jeffrey Mark is telling you I'm the luckiest son of a bitch on the planet. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being on the left of Stranger. Guys, we're going to play out to Eris. This is only you because there's only one Jeffrey Mark, guys. We'll be back in just a couple of seconds to wrap things up. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on Left of Straight Radio Network. 